General Jim Mattis, 40 years in the U.S. Marine Corps. <clears throat> How do you keep improving as a leader to meet the demand of each role in your career? We all get promoted, you have different roles to play. How do you stay teachable as a leader? I think the most important thing here, uh, Joel, is that you have to assume you must keep improving. If you make that your decision, that you must improve, if you look at every week in the Marine Corps as your last week of peace, and you must be better at the end of this week as a warfighter, then you'll push yourself on your three-mile run down to 18 minutes, and you'll accept no excuses. You'll push yourself 21 pull-ups, and you'll accept no excuses. You'll push yourself to read the Commandant's reading list. You'll push yourself that when the things are going tough in the field, you keep your spirit up and you're the man everyone can turn to, knowing that you don't give up. And you just keep improving every day with the assumption that if you're going to lead more Marines in the future as you get promoted, they expect you to be the physically toughest, the mentally sharpest, and the spiritually just the uh, most undiminished person, that nothing, not cold, not rain, not enemy situation, not frustrating rules can get you down. And you just maintain this body, mind, and spirit improvement at all times. You stay teachable most by reading books, by reading what other people went through. I can't tell you the number of times I looked down at what was going on on the ground, or I was engaged in a fight somewhere, and I knew within a couple of minutes how I was going to screw up the enemy. And I knew it because I'd done so much reading. I knew what I was going to do because I'd seen other similar situations in the reading. I knew how they'd been dealt with successfully or unsuccessfully. And so long as you continue along this line, so long as you remember somebody on the other side is watching, hoping that you're not at the top of your game, you're not reading, that you're not working out, you're not strong spiritually, then they're going to think they've got you. You want to always be the toughest, the sharpest out there. All right, and we're on. So we have uh, Gez back on the podcast, along with Tim Kozak the creator of the Veteran Project. Gez is a, a veteran of the British Army, uh, served in Iraq and Afghanistan. We had we recorded an episode a couple weeks ago. As we were ending it, we were starting to, we talked about Iraq, we were starting to talk about Afghanistan, uh, but we agreed that we would um, come back and do a separate episode on Afghanistan. So here we are. Gez and Tim, how's it going, guys? What's up, bro? What are you doing? Going good, man. Good to be back on. Good to have guests back on. Part last two, time, la- Afghanistan. Yeah, last time was last time was Boxing Day, right? I think we were all pretty like pretty like kind of uh, hungover and shit. So it's yeah, nice to be back, refresh mind, ready to go. <laughs> Looking forward to this. <laughs> I know you were definitely hungover. <laughs> yeah, dude, I haven't been in bed in like three days. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, it was cool. Christmas, yeah, you gotta enjoy Christmas, man. They don't come around too often. Right, right. Yeah, so... All right, so, Gez, um, you, you deployed into Afghanistan. Now, obviously, Afghanistan is a, a complex uh, environment. 
a lot of different things factor into the way things have played out and and um and all that sort of thing and and we'll kind of jump into all of that um can we can we like kind of talk about you know your your um how things were from your perspective going into Afghanistan and then just kind of roll through it yeah sure dude um I mean something that like I think a few veterans listening to relate to is that I was actually kind of like gone back to the reserves after Iraq um and I, I didn't really have any plans to go to Afghanistan and then I was working as like a trainer and then one day I saw on the news like this fucking footage of like this warrior which is like you know like American Bradley's and stuff that, that was in in Iraq just like smashing through this wall on the news and like a bunch of guys running around blowing shit up and I was like fuck this I gotta go out to Afghanistan so I um I got, I dropped out of uh, I, I had a spot to start like training with the um, the police force and stuff like that out here so I dropped out of that so that I could go to Afghanistan which all my friends at the time I felt like I was crazy but there was no way I was gonna like my like my company that I was in Iraq with they kind of got stood up to go out there and it was like that old feeling of there's like absolutely no way that I'm missing out on this happening when my like friends are going out there so that's kind of how it all came about um, and then even like it was it was picking up when it obviously like things started going crazy in Helmand Province in 2006 and it was a real kind of like shooting war down there but you know 2008 going into 2009 which when i went out things were starting to get really kind of like ugly down there there's like a lot of casualties a lot of fatalities um in fact uh, the day i flew out to afghanistan in the morning i had to go to a, a funeral of a friend of mine who was with a different regiment um so that was kind of like the yeah, morning was like his funeral and then afternoon was flying out there so kind of like thinking like what the fuck am i doing like this is you know like you know, like seeing the guy's mum at the funeral and then just thinking about your own mum, like, what the fuck am I, you know, what the fuck am I about to do? Um, and then we kind of got out there and we, you know, flew into Bastion, which was the big logistics base out in the, in the desert. Um, and like, just like this, I just remember this like constant stream of, well, I felt like, like constant of the, um, you know, medical evacuation, like helicopters coming in either Blackhawks or Chinooks, you know, like Pedro or, or Moot. And they were just like, seemed like they were just bringing in people all the time to the hospital. I was, oh, cause they, it was, was like, hospital there, right? At Baston. Yeah. Like I know a fucking amazing one too, like with the most amazing surgeons and medical teams. Um, but the thing is about Iraq is like when I was in Iraq, yeah, there were casual, like a casualty could occur anytime, but really like it was during an operation, like when you were going into the city, where you would expect those casualties to take place most of the time. Like it could occur from mortars or rockets or whatever. Um, but usually you could say, hey, this is kind of the window where probably something's going to happen now. And because like I, we were all on the ground when that happened, I was never kind of like a casual spectator to like the Merc coming in and stuff like that. Whereas our first couple of weeks in, when we were in Bastion, when we were like kind of taking over our vehicles, um, you know, and getting acclimatized and all, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know, you saw them coming in a lot and it was like, fuck me, there's like a lot of casualties. And in the evening, you know, you get together with your platoon, you get like, um, you know, you get the you know, orders for the next day and have the intelligence reports and stuff. And you start, you, you kind of get like, you'd get read like the tally of like, you know, like battle, battle group Northwest has suffered how many CAI casualties, how, how many CAT B casualties and all that stuff. And it was like, fuck me, this is like serious. Um, and then the other thing as well when we were there is they, they'd have like a, we call it a vigil. I'm not sure we, what Americans would refer to that as, but it's basically a, 
it's not like a ramp ceremony, but it's a ceremony to remember um, over like the last couple of days, you know, the, the guys that kind of fallen. Um, and there was a lot of names of those things. Like there was a lot, a lot. Um, it's a big operation going on at the time when we got there called Panther's Core, um, which is down in like the Babaji area. And like, that was like fucking, the guys were down there were going for like real hardcore shit. Um, and it was, it was a weird one. Cause when I got into the other tours, it, I, I like when I, you know, when I flew into Iraq for my second tour, I knew it was kind of going to be hot there. And I, but I literally like landed there and went straight into my platoon, went straight into operations. Whereas this time we had like a couple of weeks in Afghanistan where we were just waiting to go and you just kind of watch it. And it was just kind of like a real kind of weird mixed feeling of, I really want to get out there and get into this of like, I don't know, like for anyone that's like played sports, if you've ever been on the bench in sports and you know, you're going to get put in with like 20 minutes to go or something like that. It's like, um, in, you know, playing rugby, like that's like the last quarter. And you know, it's, you see, you're watching things from the side and you're like, fuck, I really want to get in there. But at the same time, I'm fucking nervous. Um, it was, it was like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, um, pretty, pretty like fucking summer 2009, I think was probably like the, I think it was like the kind of like the bloodiest time out there. Um, so it was a weird feeling because it's like, you want to get in this as a soldier, you want to get in there, but also, um, as like a fucking every time, every now and again, you become a sane person and you think, what the fuck are we doing here? Um, and like, we knew the heavy, like the biggest threat out there was IEDs by that time. Like that was like mostly what was killing people, uh, maiming people. Cause that, that's the thing as well. It's like, these things are nasty. You know, you got for every guy that gets killed, you've got like two or three guys missing legs, missing arms, missing all fucking four sometimes. Um, like we had a, a instance where, we were um, one of a guy that used to be in our regiment. He'd gone on to be in the SAS, and he he was um, operating as part of the, the medical emergency response team. So he was on the Chinooks with the you know with the medical teams, and he came. He was supposed to give us come and give us like a, a kind of like a talk one day, but he got called out on a shout. So by the time he got back, he like came over to like give us this lesson. He was like absolutely covered in blood um, from this like shout he'd just been out to. And his, like, you can see his, his, like, eyes were, like, fucking huge. He was still, like, buzzed from the whole thing. And he started, like, screaming at us because he'd just been out on this show where guys hadn't put the tourniquets onto the the boys properly. And, like, these two guys had, like, bled out. Uh, and he was, like, still kind of, like, fucking, you know, just crazy kind of, like, I don't want to say pumped. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like, he was just on it. Right. Like he was firing on all cylinders from this thing. And that kind of just like, I've never seen like the young soldiers had never been on tour before. Like they just went like fucking like sheet white. And everyone that was kind of, everyone was like this moment of, Oh fuck. Like this place is like, this place is like real. Um, and yeah, so we knew going out IEDs were biggest threat, but obviously everybody knows as well. The Taliban like to have a, a good pop with small arms. They like to have a pop with RPGs in direct fire. They're, fucking enemy that really have not stopped fighting for years and still haven't stopped fighting. And you, we were, I don't think we were under, we weren't under a false impression that to be honest, like a lot of the territory didn't want us there either. Like this was Taliban country. Um, you know, the like a lot of these the, uh, villages were going to be pro Taliban. Um, so it was, uh, yeah, that was, that was kind of like a picture going in. So I fucking went like, went long on that one. <laughs> can you, can you kind of, um, talk a little bit more about that because you just hit on something very important that not you know quite a few people don't really understand that haven't been over there but obviously there are 
certain areas that are more pro pro ally forces and more anti what's it like operating in an area like Helmand province where uh, quite honestly i've heard from a lot of guys who said a lot of those villages are very anti you know what's it like what's the difference between operating in an area where you really can't trust anyone well first thing i'd say is even if they weren't pro taliban you still can't trust them anyway like you right. literally can't you can't trust you can't trust the the um you can't trust anyone that you haven't like soldiered alongside basically you know right. i mean obviously you'd never expect like coalition forces to turn their weapons on each other but by this time there was like green on green so even when we were operating with the afghan army um you know we'd have our own sentries set we wouldn't trust their sentries and like your sentries are set as much against the people you're working alongside as they are against an outside you know like a an outside force um as far as the, the locals go, um, my kind of impression is with the areas that we were in most of the time, the locals just didn't, didn't give a fuck who was in charge. They just wanted people to stop blowing the fuck out of the houses. Um, they really, they, they got to that point where they were like, yeah, we don't like the Taliban, but you know what? We're sick of having like fucking A-10 strafing runs on our fucking garden. And, you know, like the other thing as well, to give it some context, was that the area that we went into in 2006, they put like a very uh, understrength British unit in there, and the only way to stop that unit getting overrun was by continuously fucking pounding the town with air and artillery. So you know, right from the get go, you've come in, you said to these people like, "Hey, we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna come and help you out. Fuck the Taliban. We're gonna build some roads. We're gonna get some nice fucking shit going." And then locals, maybe, maybe to begin with, were like, "All right, cool. This sounds, this sounds awesome." But then three months later, when you flatten the town they're probably not on our side anymore and who can blame them? Um, and you know, when it's even like three years later, three years later when I was there, that's not a long time. So you're telling these people like, Hey, don't worry, we're going to build you a nice road and that kind of stuff. They're like, motherfucker. I remember three years ago when you flattened the town and like killed my fucking uncle and shit like that. And they might not right. be outwardly hostile, but at the same time, like, let's be honest, are they ever going to fucking come around to that point and be your friend? Right. Like, no. it's yeah. just, just, it's just crazy to think that that could happen now. Like, you know, like, I I feel like they, given a choice, they probably would have preferred the central government in Kabul and for, they probably enjoyed us there, you know, because we weren't, we, you know, sometimes we, we talk to guys and they tell us about how they've been whiffed for doing this or doing that. And I think they would prefer things under us, but at the same time, they weren't fucking stupid. Like, we had this hill by our position. We had, it had, like, old Russian positions on the top of it. So these guys, like, they know the long game. They know the armies come and go. Right. And they know that the Taliban aren't going. And so they were very, even the ones that wanted to do business with us, because obviously, you know, they could make money selling us, like, fucking uh, drinks and potatoes and shit like that. They do it all under the cover of night because they know that there's a good chance that we might fuck off. And obviously, that's what happened. Like, you know, we came out and made this great decision of saying, hey, by the way, we're going to leave. And, like, I think it was, like, what, was it 2012? Yeah, we're going to go. So, like, as soon as that happens, like, why the fuck would they get on side with us? So I don't think they were outwardly hostile with us, Tim, to answer your question. Um, but they were certainly where we were, I would say, apathetic. Uh, and then there were areas that sometimes you'd operate in an area and it'd be like, look, this is a pro-Taliban area. You know, like, you know, if, if, you, if, you, if, you, if your vehicle breaks down here or if you take an IED strike here or something, there is going to be follow-up. You know, you, you could tell that, but um, 
the other thing as well about Afghanistan, this, this isn't really a civilian populist thing, but just to give a, a better idea of it, is that there was, like, obviously in that kind of warfare, you have to at- expect an attack at any time, any place, and that was definitely the case. But there was also, like, you could pretty much draw lines, usually with um, using terrain features of, like, this onwards is Taliban territory. Like, we, we had, like, very clear, like, forward line of enemy troops, where you, if you patrol to that, you would take contact. Now, they could still contact you in the areas that you'd consider more safe, but like there were areas that were 100%, like this village is a Taliban village, which is, you know, there's 12 Taliban fighters staying in this village, is what the intelligence says. And in this village, it's no civilians and it's all Taliban. You know, that would kind of be like the intelligence picture. Um, but yeah, 100%, there was like um, areas that you patrol up to and it was that was you know on the other side of that wadi was 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 Taliban, and um, there was a, there was a civilian once that pointed out an ID that I almost walked on top of, which you know I was pretty grateful to him, but I couldn't tell you did he point that ID out to me because um, he didn't want me to get blown up, or did he point it out to me because it was taking up a corner of his field that he couldn't then use for agriculture? You know I can't tell you the answer for that. Um, what I can tell you is that like, when we first got out there, we found an IED. Like this farmer was just watching us from a field with his kid. And we found a fucking huge IED like on the corner of the track. Um, and he just kind of like, he just stood there watching us. And I think he would have just watched us walk on top of it, you know, but we, you know, we didn't, we found it. Uh, and then as we walk past him, as we get further up the track, him and his fucking son start asking us for fucking biscuits and shit. And like... <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, it's. I, I'm like, well, my friend said that we should give them to him because they were army issue ones. They probably choke on the fuckers. But, um, <laughs> but you know, like in fairness to the guy, if he'd have told us about it, and someone saw him and reported him to the Taliban, they'd probably come around and cut his head off. So, like, what the fuck is he supposed to do? Right, right. And you I, know, so like, I think what, we we were we yeah. Sorry, Joe. No, I was gonna say like I think like the you know the kind of the, the details that you're giving of your experiences kind of illustrate how complex things are there because of, uh, you know, the way things are done there in terms of things are like a very kind of tribal system uh, with villages yes. and things like that. So uh, when people are, are, are living like that, you know, someone someone is watching this whole thing go, hey, uh, you know, uh, this guy from that house, he told the the Brits that, uh, you know, there's a bomb there and they, I saw them give him some food or something. And then the Taliban comes and kills that guy and his family. Yeah. And yeah. then now no one, you know, people are scared shitless and they're like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of stay away yeah. from these dudes, you know? And I did it. And like, let, let's not pretend that like we're all fucking saints right. in coalition military and stuff because guys that do stupid shit, like I, you know, guys that do stupid shit out there um, of, Sometimes, like, force was used. It doesn't need to be forced. Like, someone, like, they might not speak our same language, but if somebody mocks an old guy or something, that's not going to, like, that does, you know, you, you mock an elder out there or something, that's not going to get taken well. And, and I think we were very good. I think, like, um, we were very good at not doing that stuff most of the time. But, like, you know, it happens. And it only takes, like, one instance of, you know, these things of, like, somebody's disrespectful towards a woman or something like that. And that can turn somebody, like, against you. But then the other... You know, the other side of, uh, as well is like, you know, it's the, you know, you, you, um, unfortunately, there will have been times over the last few years where 
these people have lost relatives or tribe members or something like that from coalition bombs or coalition fire or something. You know, it's it's going to have happened. And um, it's very hard to make the case of like, hey, we're here to make your life better when they've suffered like, you know, death at the hand of it. And I think like, I think as well, it's very hard for us to understand in the West is these people like no war inside out. Like the war is a part of their life. So like I said, the area we'd been in, there was Russian positions in there. The Taliban had fought, you know, like uh, the Taliban had fought like tribes, tribes had fought each other. Um, you know, so sometimes we'd like, say, for instance, you had the operation to go into a, a village, which was a few kilometers away, which would involve clearing different. Um, you had to, like, say, clear different um, points to cross through these kind of like deep riverbeds, you know, which weren't accessible to vehicles otherwise. Like, so, you you know, you do your recon patrols and then you have your engineers come in and like start clearing these routes. When you're doing that stuff, like if you're doing that stuff to like a sort of civilian in, in the UK would be like, what the fuck's going on? These soldiers do it. Dude, they're like, oh, these guys are like, these these guys have been coming to this village for a couple of times this week. They're doing the reconnaissance. They're going to do a raid on this village. And then when you put the operation in to do it, no, there's not even any civilians in the village. Never mind Taliban. Everyone's cleared out because they're like, oh, there's going to be an operation in a couple of days. Fuck this. Let's go and stay with our cousin. Right. You know, like. I feel like they they don't really, most of them, I don't think, pick the side. They're just like, hey, we just need to, like, fucking wait this shit out as best as possible um, and not get killed. Right. And I think the interesting thing about that, man, is, you know, and from your experiences, you know better than I do, obviously, having been to Afghanistan. Um, I, I think one of the interesting components of that is, you know, policing is a necessary part of, what we do nowadays you know it's very different than the times of world war ii you know where it's very much you know front-on-front warfare you know now where you're fighting you know policing and being able to handle a situation with a delicate touch is sometimes necessary and telling that to an 18 year old kid is pretty tough you know (laughs) like when you're trained as a soldier you know you're, you're going there to you know you join kind of this mentality of i want to kick ass you know and get over there but many times over there that's not the case you know like you're talking about dealing with elders and you know that all goes back to cultural training and you know proper leadership being you know in place so that you know these things when you get over there and sometimes that's just not the case especially early on i know by the time i went to iraq it was pretty good but i remember a lot of the guys going over earlier uh, you know, the, the cultural training just wasn't there. So it's hard for an 18, 19 year old kid going into those situations to, to know how to properly handle that situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think compared to Iraq, there was a lot less of a policing element in Afghanistan. Uh, and I think that showed in our training as well. Like our training was a lot more kind of like conventional warfare. Um, and we didn't really get like, we didn't have like, I felt like I had like a good, like fucking forgotten it all now, but like I felt at the time, like I had like some, a decent grasp of basic Arabic and stuff in Iraq. And we do like a lot of vehicle checkpoints and that kind of stuff. But I don't feel like we really did that much. Like we, they, you know, we'd have the Shura where the OC would go in and talk to the local tribal elders and shit like that. But honestly, like, dude, these, these tribes pretty much police themselves. Um, I'm trying to think like, I'm trying to, just, I don't even remember doing a, I don't think we ever did anything with the Afghan national police. In our area, I think to be honest, that that organization by that point was so written off as like corrupted and untrustworthy um, that we never did anything with those. We did do stuff with the Afghan National Army, but our patrols are very much like advanced to contact. 
So like, you know, you patrol into an area, you take a contact and then just for some reason extract, or we'd go out, look for IEDs and clear IEDs. We didn't really have that much to do with a local populace apart from like, cause here's the other thing is like, if we patrolled South, which was, so we, um, we had like Musakela just to the North of us and like Sangin towards the South. So if we patrolled South, everything that was kind of like between us and Sangin was like Taliban. So you patrol South, you're going to take contact at some point. And so there's no fucking civilians around cause they they know what's fucking coming. So there really wasn't any civilians to interact with sometimes. And then if you'd go into the villages to the North, um, most of the adults, again, don't want to be around you. So they're in their compounds. And the only, so most of the time, the only civilians you've got fucking interaction with is the kids who you give giving fucking sweets and shit to. Um, there really wasn't that much of it. Like we didn't do the checkpoints and stuff like we did in, um, you know, like we did in uh, Iraq. Um, it was just about like fucking putting patrols out and trying to, um, trying to like, basically it's like a, uh, mostly what we did was ground holding with occasional operations to, um, either trying to expand like the kind of uh, area of influence or, you know, try and bring like another village into the fold, so to speak, um, or just to go out and provoke a fight. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, with, with the conventional infantry, Tim mentioned the difference of kind of like the world war two type of fighting where you sent a force and you guys just hammered it out, you know, for a week straight, no breaks. And then whoever won the fight won that particular engagement and you took that ground. Whereas in, in, in uh, a place like Afghanistan, it's, it's different, a different type of fight. It's like a, a kind of what they call a asymmetrical warfare where you have um, groups of guys just doing kind of hit and run type of tactics. You know, IEDs, I think IEDs were the main killer and of um, coalition forces in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, so from talking to different people, you know, there's documentaries out there. A lot of times guys have said that they were, they'll get in engagements and not even actually see who's shooting at them. Oh, dude, for sure. Like, most of the time, I didn't fucking clue who shooting at us. Um, but, like, going back to, like, that kind of... W- we did operations where we did push towards, like, you know, what you could consider the front line. And they would, like... It would become, like, more of a stand-up fight. And, you know, we did actually do an operation to push that kind of forward-line enemy troops back to, like, the next, like... So, like, there was these dry riverbeds of wadis and um coupled with villages make kind of um make sense as forward lines um so we did we pushed one back and in the six months we were there we kind of like i think we we expanded it by like i don't know maybe it's like a kilometer or something i was looking on it on like google maps the other day i was like fuck me we moved from like here to here in six months like it's 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 a 10 minute walk (laughs) it's crazy but um, yeah, but like everything on that other side, like if you if you try to push that line, then you would get like you would get contacted, and that front line would be sewn with IEDs. It would be, you know, it would it would be a um, it would be contested if you went to that area. You know, they would not let you have free passage, and and they would and it wouldn't just be they wouldn't just kind of like they 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 had their lines where you could push up to, but then they would seriously stand up if you tried to push up further, you know? Uh, but then obviously, and then the other thing is like you said, with it being asymmetrical, you always had that time of, um, you could get mortared at any time. 
there could be an ID. If you couldn't see it, you have to assume it's got an ID. Like that. And that was usually the case because there wasn't that many passable tracks for our vehicles. So they were fucking tracks. They, sorry, they were IDs in every track. It wasn't a case of, um, will you find an ID? It's like, right, where's the ID going to be today? Um, and that's like... Um, I mean that's another whole ca- another whole fucking story because the the way they were able to just hem us in with IDs is like one of the big failings of like the leadership over there I think but um, yeah that's a different story but like yeah you you could you could occasionally you might go on patrol and you might just have like a pop up up and someone just has like a little crack at you from you know God knows where because they dig like these little murder holes out through compound walls and dude you can't fucking spot those things you know. Right. Um, or, or they could be in green zone, you know, they could be in like, you know, this, this dense vegeta- vegetation. They, they could be in a fucking compound 800 meters away. Sometimes they have a crack. Sometimes it's a lot closer. Um, and it might just be a single round sometimes. Might might be a single round, might be a few bursts, might be an RPG. Like there was one guy operating in our area. Like I, I, I swear, I, I think it was like one guy who was like the fucking Vasily Zaitsev fucking sniper of RPGs. Because this guy could fucking hit anything. Like, like he he'd hit he could hit from like hundreds of meters away. Like he would hit the target. Like he would hit the vehicle. He would hit the um, the sanger, which is like you know like a guard post. He he would hit it, bang on every time. Like he hit fucking fifty cal. Like he hit the fifty cal straight on. Like took out the fifty cal, ruined the fifty cal. He hit the vehicles a couple of times. He and this is all like in a short like period. Like whoever he was, he was a fucking crack shot. Like <laughs> I think it was one dude. He he, uh, um, he almost took me out when I was uh when I was on the fucking. Um, he almost took me out when I was on fucking toilet once too. <laughs> it was like a, it's an embarrassing story. I'm gonna like digress on this because this will give someone a giggle. Basically, <laughs> like, we had like a little we had like a little wooden shack, which was the toilet. And I went in there, took a magazine with me, I went in there, to jerk off. And uh, I just, I literally, I literally just finished and I had, I was just in my little condo moment of like, of like sub, sublime peace. And I heard the, I heard the doom and I was like, I knew straight away it was an RPG launch. And I was like, I was sitting like the toilet was like below the sign. I was like, oh fuck. And I heard it come in whoosh, and I was like, I got a choice tonight, right now of like dive out the front of this shack with like my fucking hard dick in my hand. I'm like... <laughs> Or like just sit here and die like a fucking man. I was like, fuck it, I'm safe here. I, I heard it go by. I heard it go by and I heard it thud into the wall. It basically it, it was a it was a dud round. Uh, and the guys I stuck my head out so the guys cause like once that happened, like everyone started firing. So I like tore my trousers up and like I, it was horrible afterwards because I got my fucking trousers. <laughs> like, and we were in a patrol base, so you can't wash so, like, so i came i came like running out um i came running out and the guys like yeah they're like the rpg had missed the sh- hey is this the john is this the most vivid jackoff story you've had on the show and he was yeah. like yeah absolutely man and it's funny because i know that there's like you know father-son combos that listen to the show <laughs> It's like they're in the car and they're like, look, son, you got to like listen to these guys, like these great men in combat. And they're like, check this guy, Gez out, this British guy. And he's, like, he's, like, yeah. he's like, son, honor the British forces too. Like, they're great men as well. Listen. To- in all reality, I was just beating off in a, in a little shit somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, dude. I, the th- and last time, last time we did it, I was telling you about the guy getting shit on his face, and this time we've got like, I know, this time man. This, this the this the reality of this reality of soldiering, man. There's a lot of bodily fluids and shit going around. Yeah. You, need, you need to know about this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's it's funny because I was talking to someone the other day, and um. And he, he's a civilian. He's not like a military guy. He just like asked me about the podcast and 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 some of that. And um, he listened to an episode and he was telling me like how the the story was interesting and everything. And then I was like, yeah, you know, you know, the only thing is you can't really get from that from just listening to like a story. And obviously, people tell stories differently. I think Gez is pretty good at like breaking down details. And um, he mm-hmm. was just like, and then I told him like, you know, the one thing that you don't get from it is like you don't really. Uh, think about like how things smell you know um mm. you know how hot it is like uh you know if a bomb hits the target you know w- how does human flesh smell when it's burning you know how does hair smell when it's, burning? it's pretty bad smell you know um and those kind of details make a huge difference because you know you watch a movie and it's just like oh yeah the guy's sweating you know he's a hero and whatnot but in reality it's, it's pretty like gritty stuff you know yeah, dude. And the, the other thing as well is about tours. Like, tours are not like, like, obviously, the thing, the thing is, uh, this is what makes it hard for families as well. It's like families just think that you go on a tour, you wait for six months, you're like in fucking battle, like day in, day out, right. you know? And the truth is that, like, a lot of the time, like, shit isn't going on. And, like, what you're worried about is, like, what the fuck is this rash on my feet? Or like, yeah. why does my why does my dick burn? And like all these kind of like things. Like, no, I'm I'm busy. Like, I'm using like real examples. You know, it's like a lot. Or like, where's that scorpion go? Like, I saw a scorpion around my kit. Where did he go? Oh, there he is. Now he's like dangling off my hand. You know, like those are the kind of things that most of the time you're preoccupied with. And then it's when you go on patrol, then it's like, oh shit, IEDs. You know, like a lot, but like a lot of the time, it's it's those it's those those, those kind of like. Um, those little things that like, like what you're worried about most of the time, this seems crazy. It's like to people, it's like, you're more worried about, you know, Oh God, where am I going to get some sleep rather than, Oh, there's IEDs out there. And it's, it's those little, you know, those, those things. It's like, it's not how people would, what, what you worry about is not usually what you, people would think that you worry about, you know, most of the time. Um, and like, dude, like, so like, you know, that story with the, you know, the, the RPG, you know, trying to ruin my like peace and quiet you know it's like moments like that when you can have like you know you have fun with the guy it's that that that's the whole reason for being there you know like it's those moments that you have to like you when you can just laugh at each other like that and stuff that's why you want to go back is like as much as combat is exciting like you want to go back because like those moments are so like fucking hilarious at the time that like i don't think i've laughed as hard like since tour since you know like kind of because it's like you've got so much stress and stuff that when you do laugh like when you do laugh you find something funny there's so much relief that comes out of it that like you just it's just fucking like dude, it's just fun it's like you're hanging with your boys and occasionally you get to shoot the fuck out of stuff it's like fucking it's like people don't think it's fun it's like it is fun like lots of it and that's what i mean how i bet almost everyone you talk to and shit like most of the guys will be like yeah i go back tomorrow yeah i mean look i you know guys aren't um and and this is it's funny this same conversation I have with this person I was just telling you about because um, he he listened to a particular episode where a guy was just kind of touching on uh, you know the whole actually going into combat um, 
whereas, you know, he's just saying, uh, I forget exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of, you know, I didn't plan on going and getting shot at, or I don't say, hey, let's go get shot at. You know, I think it's cool, but there's something about it that draws guys in to constantly deploy and, and stuff like that, you know, and it's just uh, like how you're describing like those moments that are, are like almost priceless and that you only experience in that type of environment. Uh, you know, among, you know, serving your country and, and you know, fighting the good fight and all that, uh, like those things kind of make it worthwhile, you know? Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think the patriotism stuff is like a less of a thing with the UK military now than it, than it is with the, you know, the States and stuff. Uh, I don't think there's many people that you'd find who'd say, yeah, I joined to serve king and country. Like it's most for a lot of guys, you know, it was like just like personal reasons rather than like patriotic ones. Right. Um, and that, that, that doesn't mean that we aren't patriotic people and it doesn't mean that that isn't part of it but it's not I don't think that it is the same level as it is in the States in fact I know it's not having like spent a lot of time in the States it just it just isn't that same kind of level you know um, but like fuck dude like it, combat is exciting and like when I like I said to you like I, I'd been to Iraq and then I saw the the news footage of Afghanistan I was like fuck me that looks good I gotta get in on that you know it was like and I would have been disappointed if it was safe and quiet when I got there. And I know that sounds quite fucked up to say it, but it's like, and obviously you never want anyone on your own fucking side to get hurt. That goes without saying. But you do want, you like, or at least I do, and I know a lot of other people feel the same way. You don't want a quiet tour. You want to be going out. You want to be getting shot at. You want to be shooting back. And you want to be having these fucking kind of like crazy experiences. Um, and, you know, it's, that's kind of like, that's part of what you miss. And then the other part is that you miss the, uh, the people you went through that with. Um, and, you know, you have these high moments and you have uh, low moments. And, you know, like you take these two extremes, like the best days of your life, the worst days of your life, and go through it with these, you know, like your, your close group of like, say, four or five really close friends. And like, you know, you just, you can't recreate those um, situations in in many you know i'm sure there might be one or two exceptions out there in civilian world but you know really you can't kind of like recreate that yeah and and not to like get into the reintegration stuff too much because i know you've got you know more stories and stuff but what you know can you talk a little bit about that because a lot of the struggles that i've seen with the guys is you know going 100 miles an hour um, for, you know, whatever it is, six, eight, 10 years, sometimes, you know, 15 to 20 and then coming back and then all of a sudden you don't you, there's no place to fill that adrenaline hole, you know, like there's no possible way to match that experience in combat. Um, you know, man, man against man in that scenario. So what, what was that like in particular for you? Um, well, I haven't figured it out. I still miss it like fuck. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, I would, dude. If, if you, if you, but like, guess, guess still does yeah. the the man on man thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, like I, I honestly, like I, I think like if I didn't write about it, I think I go nuts. Because at least now I have like these little fictitious characters that I write, you know, I, I write about in my, in you know, in, in my job. Um, so like for the listeners that don't know, like I, I'm an author, uh, is what I do for a living now. Um, and I get to write war memoirs, like, for, um, so I get to write some real stuff. So I still get that kind of connection to it, but right. it obviously doesn't give me the, the adrenaline shit, but 
yeah, I, dude, I don't have a fucking answer. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to be 80 years old and I'm still like, I want to be on a machine gun and fucking, you know, and like, no, that, I, that was like really disparaging impression of 80, 80 year old. So I apologize to any like, older people listening. Any older veterans, please don't kick the fuck out of me. Um, but yeah, so, but like, dude, I, I don't, I don't think there is an answer. I think the answer to that lies in being okay with the fact that it's over with. That's the right. issue. I don't think it's ever going to be like, no, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, I think it's always going to be a thing that you want to do. Uh, it's just being like, hey, okay, like that happened. And like, you know, it's the same way as like, dude, I miss playing rugby as a kid. Like, but I can't go and do that anymore. Like, you know, that it's just one of those things. Like, how much did you miss like summers in high school? Like, remember you first kissed him? What's his name? You know, like, I like that. Kind of shit. Like, but it's like all that yeah, kind of me. stuff. It's like, you want to go back to it, but you, you, know, you know you can't. Um, you know, you can't go back to it. You just have to like, it's like I said, I don't have it fully worked out yet. Come back to me and like, come back to me in like 10 years or something. Hopefully I'll have an answer, but I think I'll probably be the first veteran who ever has. So, um, yeah. We got on a tangent here. Sorry. We were yeah. About- yeah. No, I didn't want <laughs> to depart yeah. away from that. Can you, can we kind of take us back to Afghanistan and, uh, you know, and some, and again, the complications of that bowel space, but, maybe some more of your uh, specific stories about being on the battlefield out there. Yeah. And I just want to inject one thing before we, we uh, jump right onto that. Um, and I was talking to a, um, a, uh, a special mission. Uh, he was on, on the American side. It was a special missions um, Sergeant major. And, um, you know, the guy was in the, in the military for fucking ever, um, you know, a bazillion deployments. And one, one way that he kind of described his, you know, kind of reflecting and, and looking back on his time and like indirect combat um, is he uh, he quoted uh, a tale of two cities by Charles Dickens. Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. And uh, what he said was it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. And and that's kind of how he described what it was to him, like. To, to have like those rushes and then have the low points where guys are getting killed and, you know, your friends are getting killed and then, um, but still like living the dream, so to speak, you know, doing what it is that you wanted to do, you know? Yeah, um, for sure, dude. Yeah. It's like having, it's like having a fucking, like everyone, every one of us, I'm sure it's like had that crazy girlfriend who, you know, you're not supposed to be with, but like. You know, she's like the best fuck, but then she does like crazy shit that like fucks your day up. And like, you know, she's, and you know, you're, you're like, I know this girl's no good for my head, but it's like, I'm going to stick with her anyway, because it's like, this is a thrill. That's yeah. kind of like what being on deployment is like. Um, Charles Dickens. Yeah. He probably said it better. better. British authors have gone like downhill, like <laughs> since Charles Dickens. Now you got me. Now you got me. But like, that's, that's kind of like how, uh, how I would see it. Dude. Like it is like, it is, it is a roller coaster. That's like a cliche way of saying it. Um, and that is like, um, you know, it's, it's, if it was all like in the middle, it wouldn't be any, like it, it wouldn't be addictive. It's the, it's the, I'm not so like, obviously the lows are the bits you wish you never had, but, um, those kind of like, are this going to sound like maybe I hope I phrase this the right way by knowing you have those lows and by knowing that they have a possibility that just makes you all the tighter and it makes those relationships all the more special. Right. So when you know that you're, you're like, you, cause these guys are like you fucking, like not everyone, like, but your your close group are your bro, like really are brothers, and like when you know your brother could be like dead in like an hour, 
then your relationships are all the more special. You 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 really kind of cherish that time that you have together, and knowing that you have people that like. I think like what a lot of people like in life is like, you know, like people like I fucking hate it when you hear people like, oh, that that bitch is my ride or die or fucking shit. It's like, no, like the guy you like, you literally know these people would die for you. Like that's right. a really pretty fucking empowering feeling to know that, right. you know? Right, um, because really there's almost no scenario where you can prove that, you know? Like right, right, exactly, right. bro. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like apart, like there's a few, you know, but generally, you know, like, so to 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 have that, you have to have the it's the low days that make that you know the the big that. So even though I wish the low days never happened, like the silver lining to take some kind of like happiness away from those low days is that like to know that that guy was there for his his comrades, you know. And it's like to know that to like not only were people prepared to do it, but some of the people did go through and make the ultimate sacrifice for the brothers, like. That is like a feeling that you wish you ne- you didn't know, but that you know it makes you really fucking proud and like honored to know that. Right, right, and I I think um in in certain situations where you know, like I think the way people perceive time kind of determines how they. Uh, move through life so to speak right like if um yeah that's, if, that's if, really true if a lot of people have died around you you know as you were you know whatever from the age of 10 to 30 then you really understand that you only have one life to live right like it yeah. just it hits you a little bit harder so you know? true and um yeah and that's that's a great gift that's actually like an unwanted gift but it's a great gift to actually know to um to appreciate right. oh, absolutely. to appreciate time and like and, you know, that's and, really true. And and like I'm, I've never heard it like put that way, but it is a gift. At the same time, it sucks because someone that you were really close to is no longer here, right? At least like to you know where you can talk to them and yeah. stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it is a teacher, and if you let it be a teacher, you know, some people cool. just kind of like fall yeah. into like a you know a dark basement and never get out of it, but um, yeah. or, or get sour, you know what I mean? But if if you're receptive, you know it can really be a great teacher. And then, and it happens. It's like, I'm sorry. What was that? You know, like what? Yeah. I think the the Skype guys. Okay, yeah. yeah, they're back. Oh, again. They're back. Are they back? God damn it! F- <laughs> <laughs> Should have never left California. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I guess, are you good or not? I, I can hear you, but can you hear me? Yeah. A little. You're in me? and out. Yeah. How, how was this? Skype gods. <laughs> Skype. <laughs> Come on, let us finish this podcast. Show whales some love, Skype gods. Yeah. Show whales some love. I'm in Texas. John's in New York. Gez is in Wales. Too many complications. Yeah, man. <laughs> There's a lot well, of space is... in, in between where we're at, man. It's like yeah. A lot of Modern... opportunity for Russians to get involved. <laughs> Collusion. 
All he's right. trying. Yeah, I think he's trying. All right. Yeah, man. So, how, how do you feel about that, Tim? Like, as uh, as far as like, um, uh, you know, the like kind of perceiving time and you know losing someone close to you and and like how that kind of changes your perspective because I know you've lost in your life as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a complete perspective shift, man. Like. Uh, you know, and it's di- it's very different, like, when you come back and you kind of feel safe from that, I guess. You know, when I lost uh, Carter Chick, my squad leader, you know, when we came back and he took his own life, you know, you kind of feel like the bat. you feel like, at least for me, I felt like the battle was over, you know, and, and you come back and then that happens and you realize a lot of guys are still facing those demons uh, when they get back, so... But it can be a beautiful thing in, in, in perspective. It really can. And I think it, and I like that term that Gez used uh, a lot as far as perspective shift and it being a gift. Yeah. Because it truly is a gift if you let it be, because not many people know what that's like. And you can't replicate that, right? No, like you no. cannot replicate that experience. So mm. um, I'm a very big believer in what Paul Merriman, my Iwo Jima Marine, told me. He said, you need to come back and treat your time in combat as a sabbatical, as a type of learning experience. And you need right. to not make other people feel guilty for that. So like it, it's, it can be a positive thing. And that, that experiences, although they're traumatic, they don't have to be negative going forward in their life. They can be a teacher, like you said. You know, your perspective right. shift is really a gift because you can go into any moment, into any business deal, into any uh, type of relationship, knowing that it's very important to maintain that because you have a you have a bird's eye view in a lot of ways. You know, you have this outer perspective where you're able to see the important things in life. Right. And know what's truly important, that relationships are important and that right. there's there's nothing like it. So, yes, perspective is huge, man. Like and that is definitely a growth tool if you let it be. Right. You know, I'm back, by the way. Is this working? Hey. Yeah, we can hear you better there now. All right, cool. Sorry about that. This is fucking um, if anybody's uh, like uh, if anybody's good with Internet stuff, please come to Wales. We need help. Yeah. <laughs> It's a business opportunity, any contract yeah. is. Now you kind of sound like you're talking in a tin can, but it's more <laughs> steady. <laughs> With a cigarette. Okay, that's just my that's just my house. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. So just get, cap off with you saying I do. I'm just saying that. So, um, like, but perspective on things is is um, is everything, and I just think like. What what would your brothers would they want you to be all sour and bitter or everything like that or would they want you to say like you know fucking you know embrace that like that lesson and obviously when you think about it like that it's, you know it's really clear um, right. it's a it's a real clear choice you know like um, yeah like so yeah there we go yeah and um uh you know it's just it's a it's a teacher and and I think. As long as you go through your life and and view things as lessons learned, I think you know you'll you'll kind of bounce back from things, you know. Um, and no, not no one, no one gets through this life without suffering loss. Right. So you're gonna have to fucking deal with it at some point. It's it's gonna happen. It's like it's a, you know it's, it's one of the sad realities of things, and it's you know it's to to try and find the, the good things like to know that what are you like i said just 
it's it's I can't even get my head around it now to know that like somebody would lay down their life for you. You know, that's right. and it, and this could be a stranger too. This could be a fucking you get like a the bomb disposal guys coming in. They've never met you and they're coming in and doing something that could save one of your guys' lives or your right. life. And and like you know, like if another unit gets if another unit gets contacted, you get sent in as a quick reaction force. You're about to like risk your life for them. You don't even know them, and it, and like I think that's such a fucking cool, powerful thing. Like yeah, um, that like I think is fucking awesome, you know. But I mean, that, again, it doesn't have to be a military thing. You see it happen in civilian life all the time. People risking their lives to help other people, and right. you know, I, I I don't know if I'm about like to start joining. Yeah, I'm I'm about to start a drum circle right now or something. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting real human spirit up in here, but like I'm yeah, I'm 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 high. I'm high on the human race. Most of us are good fucking people. And, right. and uh yeah. I think okay. that's uh I think that's a great point. Um and I I, I and I don't want to miss that because it it is so important and um you know, when you're young and you're going into a lot of these situations, you know, overseas, you don't, you don't really think about it in the moment. You know, you really, a lot of times you don't even really think about what you're doing. And I know that's probably true for you guys, but there are times overseas where you're like, did I just do that? Like, you know, like, oh, that, that was pretty cool. You know, like there are these experiences over there where time passes so quickly and you're kind of in the heat of the moment and, and yet it's passing slowly at the same time, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, and, and you're doing something that normally you wouldn't be faced with, but you're handling it in that situation. And it, it causes your whole perspective to really change, you know, in those moments. And if you can carry that with you throughout your life, it really can be a gift. Like John said, yeah, dude, the, the test aspect of things is huge. Like, um, no, like I always had a question of, would I be able to do, you know, like, how am I going to react when I get shot? How am I going to react when I come across a casualty? Like that kind of stuff. Those were questions that like, I, you know, I really didn't know the answer to. And like, when you do go through them and you know, you did like a good job or like, you know, you did the best you could. It's kind of like. Maybe it's just because maybe it's because of the fucking fat kid in school. I got insecurities, and I needed to do all those things. Fuck knows. I don't know. Oh, I'm sure. Mo- I'm sure most of us have some kind of thing that. But like to know that, like genuinely, be able to say, like, hey, I know that, like, when there's gunfire, I'm running towards the gunfire. Like to know that stuff personally, I'm fucking glad I know the answers to that. Um, I wanted to know the answers to it. I do know the answers to it. Um, but it, dude, it's a weird one because I remember going to karaoke once. Um, place in fucking santa monica I'm trying to remember the name now gas gas lamp gas lamp in santa monica shout out to gas lamp it's a good spot that place. i like that spot yeah, yeah. oh you've been fuck yeah, i should not yeah, know, you. know you've been we'll go out and get kicked out there, kicked out of there together next time we yeah. go out <laughs> we already um, got kicked out of one place <laughs> but yeah so um i was in there and my, my friends like go like go for sing i'm like oh, i don't fucking go for sing fuck that i'm shy he's like dude you used to like fucking like being in Afghanistan, Iraq, and she's like, how are you scared about going up and singing karaoke? Yeah. It's not the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, I'm like dude, my brother tried to get me to do MMA. I'm like, I'm not going to punch in the fucking face. Like, dude, you just got back from Afghanistan. I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm probably not going to get shot. The chances are I am definitely going to get punched in the face. Like, fuck that yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like now, no, but now for sure, I do try and like, definitely with, when it comes to like work or relationships or anything like that. 
I'm not going to say a relationship can't kill you because, you know, if it's a crazy motherfucker, who knows? But like, um, generally, generally, like generally speaking, the stuff that you do in life is not going to kill you. You go for a job interview. Oh my God, I'm so fucking scared about this interview. Why? What's going to happen? Is the fucking guy going to fucking shoot you in the fucking face if you, if if you don't impress him or if you fuck up your presentation, you know, like these, like, so it's only like in recent years, like I've really started to get this kind of grasp of the context of, you know, putting into context what, you know, like those things you, you know, did on tour and like using that as like, and, and to be honest, since I've started doing it, like I felt, I felt like bulletproof when it's come to, um, like work and things like, you know, like work and things like that. Like I don't stress by any of that stuff. I really used to, um, you, you mean just like yeah. kind of applying that same mindset? Just, just more, more of, more of the, like a dude, you did this stuff you can do any of this other stuff, you know? And it's like, and even if you do fuck it up, like if you fuck up looking for IED, uh, my fucking cat just tried to fucking sabotage this thing by jumping on my phone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, you, if, you do, if you do fuck up, like what's the worst that can happen? If you, if you, work up, if you fuck up cleaning for an I, uh, like sweeping for IEDs, what's the worst that could happen? Uh, well, I could yeah. end up with no arms and no legs and I got a shit in my bag for the rest of my life. You know, bad things can fucking happen. Um, or you can be fucking dead, you know, like how does it get any worse? Oh, well, actually the way it gets worse is you fuck up and your friends die. That's the worst, that's right. the worst, that, that's yeah. the worst that can happen. Um, but like, okay, I'm going to go for a job interview. What's the worst that can happen? I'm going to go and fucking, you know, I, I'm going to go, um, and leave this, leave this job. I don't want to do and go and pursue something I want. What's the worst that can happen? You're not going to fucking die. Like, so it's like when you've had that as your baseline, it's you know you can really and i'm not saying it's an easy thing to do because it's not because like but it's it but that's trying kind of like how i try and look at things now is you know so like you know and and then i i don't it's really crazy i see so many people who are in the military and like sorry we're veering off afghanistan here but like you're gonna have to do some editing on this to this stuff back to front but it's no, like i see good, i see guy, i see guys who push themselves in like fucking 150 degree heat with all these kids on with someone trying to kill them and they, they, they kicked all this fucking ass and then they come back at like 23 and they're like, yeah, I'm done. And they just give up and they just take the easy road on everything. And they start bitching and whining about everything. I'm like, dude, like you were fucking hardcore. Like if you just tapped into 20% of the effort you used to put into things, you could like kick ass against your competition. And instead you know, just going to fucking like now, now you're done with, hopefully another like 60, 70 years of your life left. You're just going to fucking, you know, like just not going to push yourself anymore. You're not going to strive. I think, I think that's a great point, Gez. And I wanted to kind of selfishly hit on that, but I, it is funny, the translation, how some guys are really able to carry that over. And then some guys aren't. And I know I've seen it with myself with doing the project and going out and guys will say like, you know, I'll go on like this 28 hour road trip and I'll, you know, at the time, especially when I wasn't making any money off of the project, I remember showering in West Texas truck stops and then opening the back of my car and just sleeping in the back of my car at a truck stop. And guys would be like, dude, you're crazy. Why do you do that? And I was like, oh, I love my bros. Like, I love telling these stories. It's not that big of a deal to me. You know, I don't, I don't feel anything when I do that. And guys were like, dude, you're crazy. But to me, that's not crazy. Like, I've done right. much harder things soldiering, you know, I, yeah, I for sure. going off on a trip. That's fun to me. Like, I don't mind sleeping in the back of my car. I don't mind taking a shower at a truck stop. 
at the end of the journey, I know I'm going to meet a fascinating individual. And I'm going to get to tell their story. So I'm not worried yeah. about it. And but I, I think, you know, I'm glad you, you, you're hitting at it from that angle because one thing that people like just kind of generally like civilians, military veterans or whatever, is that people don't understand like, if you want to succeed at something, it requires a minimum of that kind of effort. Like if not, yeah. forget about it. Like you, like you think, you know, people want to be basketball players and people want to do, you know, whatever it is they want to do. Like those guys are maniacs. Like people think they're going to be the next Kobe Bryant. That guy will work you to death. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah. it's that kind of effort. Like if you want to be someone who's putting out these stories, you know, doing this uh, photo, uh, journalistic stuff, getting these stories out here that Tim's doing, and you're not willing to drive for 18 hours and sleep in the back of your car, then forget about it because that's what Tim's doing. You know what I'm saying? You have to, at the very minimum, match his output. If you can't do it, then it's not going to work. And Yeah, dude, and, for sure. And that's and for I, anything, you know? Yeah, and I, I just feel like I, I'm just surprised like when people who – were able to push themselves through such fucking difficult times um, in their early twenties when they just then just fade into obscurity and just lose that drive and just become like the lo- like like just happy with what's put in front of them rather than getting after it. Um, right. So I don't know. It surprises me, but like it's on, on the other. I I, I kind of tend to find that guys are usually doing like really well or really badly. They kind of go to one extreme to the other. It's kind of like how it seems to me but um, yeah there really is no like shade of gray in that man i i find the same to be true it's like a lot of the time with my projects man that like guys that i've covered there it's like either really successful guys or guys that are really really struggling you know i mean my my squad leader be an example you know and a year after i did his project he took his own life you know like he was really just in the pit of things and he couldn't seem to get out and this is a guy who'd done six tours, you know, three with the, I believe two with the Marine Corps and four with the army. Like this is a guy who's been a professional soldier, professional Marine, really damn good at what he did. Um, one of the best leaders I've ever met. And yet when he got out, I just remember sitting in, um, you know, the room with, you know, him and in his wife and him just saying, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do now that I'm home. That's what I was. I was a soldier. I was a Marine and that's, I can't do that anymore. I feel useless. And, you know, that translation for a lot of guys is just so hard. I think it's even harder. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I think it's even harder for the career guys that I've met. Like a lot of the guys that made a career out of it, they get out and they really struggle with it. You know, the 15 to 20 year guys, a lot of times they have a really hard time getting out and uh, changing their mindset. I mean, it makes sense that the longer you're in something, the longer, you know, the harder the, right. the transition is going to be, you know. But, like, that's yeah. the, like, the, the that, like, I, I, I'm, I'm aware as well that we keep saying we're going to go back out to Afghanistan. We keep, like, the ship is lilting a bit here. But yeah, well, yeah. Well, I just before we before we jump back uh, to Afghanistan, one of the things I want to say about soldiers is that we are pretty extreme about what we do. So they're like, if you've got somebody who's like, I'm going to be the best fucking soldier, I'm going to be the best like sports player and all that stuff. What if they fall into? And I'm like, not saying that I'm speaking from experience here because I don't want to fuck up my visa application to the states. But if they were somebody who fell into bad patterns, um, then they become the best at doing that too. Right. So you can you can be the best at doing a bad thing and a negative thing. Um, and that I think is why a lot of guys get so much shit when they get out 
is because we don't really have like, and I'm speaking for the infantry guys here. I know it might, might be different from like, I'm, I'm like infantry. It's like, we kind of go all in on stuff. So it's like, if you go in all in on a positive project, you're probably going to fucking dominate. But if you go in all in on doing um, fucking drugs and drinking, then you're probably going to be the best drinker and drug taker in the town. Um, and obviously that's not mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, so right. yeah. So that, I just wanted to kind of like, just touch on that. But we go back to Afghanistan if you want. I got a funny story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, tell it. All right. So I want to, I promise my friend to tell this story because I, I want to make him, uh, I want to make him famous with the global recon crew. So basically <laughs> it's a, it's, a, it's I like this story though. Cause it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of things. It's actually got like a good tactical lesson in it as well. So, we were like patrolling south. So we knew we were kind of patrolling towards like what was the basically like front line. And we had like what's called like two multiples. So basically we had like a, a small platoon. There's like 24 of us. And uh, I had the, the general purpose machine gun, which is like, a, I call it the belt fed murder machine. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's like the, it's like an M240. So basically 7.62 belt fed. And like, I fucking, I was so happy to have this thing on tour. Like this is what I always wanted since I was like, you guys remember tour of duty? The TV show with oh, like yeah. Sergeant Zeke, Sergeant Zeke Anderson, and all those guys. <laughs> like, um, I think I'm trying to remember what the machine gunner's name was, like Ramirez or something. Like, like um, but yeah, like I always wanted a fucking machine gun. So yeah, <laughs> so I was like, I was, I was at like at the back of the patrol, and um, we're patrolling down there, and we start seeing like the usual kind of like a combat indicators. So like civilians are getting out of the area like fucking pronto. And, like, you start seeing, like, the little Taliban, like, fucking cavalry coming in on their, like, little motorbikes, like, the, in the scooters. We start seeing them moving into compounds. So we know things is probably going to go tasty. Like, so, in like, historically in that area, no one had been able to patrol down to this wadi without getting contacted. Like, it always happened short. But we actually, like, the front of our patrol actually got to, like, this wadi without anything happening. So we were all kind of like, oh, what happens next? Because we weren't really sure what happened. So kind of like took a dog leg across the and followed the wadi towards another like the the really big wide Musakala wadi um and the whole patrol like this is the tactical lesson to learn from this which is a really basic one but like it seemed didn't seem basic at the time which is if you're if you've got a patrol and you're expecting to take contact half half of your patrol moving and half of your patrol fucking in position to get fire sport we were all moving at the same time so we were like if you can imagine we walked down to the wadi then like half the patrol hit a right. So we were kind of like in an L shape. Um, and then we got contacted from like two sides. Um, we got contacted from two sides and we were, we were just all out in this like open field. Like this field is like open as fuck. And um, we were avoiding like the, there was just like, no, there was no cover at all. And we get opened up on, start hearing the rounds cracking by and everything. And it was really weird because it was the first time where I'd, I'd already been blown up on the tour. My vehicle had been like uh, taken out by ID. So we'd already had like some like, thanks. We already had like some bad shit happen. My brother just brought me a cup of tea. I nearly fucking died of fright there. <laughs> he, just, he just, I just saw this tea like levitate out in front of me. I was like, what the fuck? Um, so like, I thought it was like some fucking Taliban could have get me from the grief. Um, so like we'd already had some shit happen, but we hadn't been in like a big small arms contact. So like the rounds start like cracking by and like kind of out of the corner of my eye, I see somebody go down, but I didn't really think anything of it. So like I, I, I run up to the front of the patrol with the, G, uh, the GPMG, get down, start like, start like hammering rounds down. Everyone's getting fired down. Um, and like trying to like speed a short story up. So basically we kind of like half of us stayed where we were. The, the other half moved back to a compound 
kind of like started taking they 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 started taking fire positions around there, uh, and we were really lucky that there was no IDs around there because like again the the lesson that we learned there was that um, don't fucking move into like obvious cover like that without clearing it for IDs because there's probably going to be an ID in there. Um, I don't know how we missed the ones that were in there because when we patrolled there the next day we found a bunch of IDs so like we just got fucking lucky basically. Um, yeah. Sometimes sometimes if you catch them off guard. They don't keep the um, the the IDs aren't basically like rig, rigged up to go like they're in place, but they don't have like um, like the say the circuit like hooked up and shit. Um, I don't know what the technical term is for that, but basically, they they the, the pressure pad might not be connected to the the charge itself. You know, um, they might they they might just do that. Uh, you know, they don't don't do it all the time. Um, keep them that way. So we found a few IDs that way. Anyway. Um, so we, you know, we moved back. There's like a good way of fire coming from like a couple of different directions. And like, I'm having a fucking hell of a time. And so are most of the guys. Like we're enjoying this because it's, you know, we're getting to shoot back and forth. It's a lot of fucking fun. Then um, I see like one of the guys getting treated by a medic. And it turns out he's like one of my fucking best friends. And he'd been like shot through the neck. I'm like, holy fuck. He'd been shot through the neck. Like, fuck. It's like we're best friends. He's probably going to fucking die. But like the meds, uh, one of the guys was like, no, no, he's fine. He's He's been shot through the neck, but he's fine. You're thinking, like, how the fuck is someone being shot through the neck? I'm fine. Anyway, we continue the contact. And, like, this is one of the really weird things that just, like, strikes me now as being so, like, stupid. Is that, like, I'm firing on machine gun. And, like, one of my best friends, he he almost, like, ran straight in front of me into my arcs. Um, and I, like, it was just, I was looking over the top of the gun at the time. Um, which is the only reason I didn't, like, put a fucking burst straight into him. So like I fucking shout at him and call him like I, I'm gonna like I'm gonna not gonna use the c word because like you told me that there's like dad and his son listening to this in the truck on the way to like <laughs> go shoot something so but I called him the c word and he turned around me and him basically in the middle of this with like we got rounds cracking by us me and him stand up and just start laying into each other just like oh, fuck you I'll fucking do you you fucking and he's like <laughs> like we just like we've totally forgot about the Taliban at this point <laughs> our guns are on the floor and we're just like stood up just like fucking like <laughs> just so pissed off at each other um and then like a couple of other guys have to kind of come in and like calm us down and put us back to work of actually shooting at the enemy who are still shooting at us so that was like really like just kind of like weird just looking back on it that we were we were more angry at each other than we were at the people that were actually trying to shoot us yeah um then like we saw like some uh some guys like broke cover from a compound and started running down towards the green zone and uh, my, my friend who was like kind of like spying for me um we kind of saw those go in and like put a couple of bursts in a tra- of, of tracer into them so that was that was pretty cool um like that's the thing as well like i'm not gonna lie really enjoyed that moment um and you know this is going on and it's like this is we start having the, the, the motor start coming in we get some air turn up i'm like i'm fucking having the time of my life with this thing it's, it's really cool um and then we do like a we extract back to our patrol base all the way we get mortars put down we get like we're, we're still getting harassed all the way back and like guys are fucking guys are fucked because of the weight of the kit um, and I'm like skipping along at the back of the machine gun because one, I've like pretty much gone through, I took like a thousand rounds out of me. I pretty much went through it all. And I'm like, just so happy. Cause this is what I'd always wanted to do. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Anyway, we get back and it's like, Oh shit. One of the guys got shot. Better go and check on him. And basically what had happened was like, he, when we first, like in that kind of like first, like opening, the, um, bunch of fire, 
um, he'd felt something hit his neck, but he thought it was just like a stone thrown up or something like that. And then one of the other guys had looked across and just seen like this blood like spurting up in the air from his neck. So he'd run over and like jabbed his thumb into the, he jabbed his thumb in there. And then um, he'd called for a medic and this medic came over and this guy, he's like a big kind of like, you know, imagine an Ewok has kind of let himself go and has got a bit on the fat side. Sure. So he came, he came running over and as he like, as he bent, like he bends to like fucking start dragging my friend away the crotch of his like trousers rips open and his balls like <laughs> flop down pretty much into my face. <laughs> These big sweaty hairy balls. So he gets he gets dragged like the hundred meters to cover whatever it was with these balls like bouncing around on top of his helmet and in his fucking face. <laughs> and he says like that was the thing that like traumatized him most about the whole fucking uh, the, the whole experience. Yeah, forget about um, the, the the gunshot wound to his neck. Yeah, he's just like get the fucking things away from me. Um so yeah, that was pretty fucking funny. And um but yeah, it was just that that was just like I mean, I, it's it was it was crazy like basically the surgeon cuz you could see in his wound, like the surgeon was pointing out, the, the kind of like the, um, I guess I, I guess from like the rifle end of the bullet, you know, you could see that in the flesh. And it went through like, and we, we, we obviously were like merciless on him saying this is just because he's like a fucking fat ass with a big neck, a uh, big fat neck, was that the bullet had gone, if it had gone like a little one way, it would have hit the spine and a little other way would have hit the jugular. Um, so like he, but it was like a through and through in his neck. So yeah, fat neck. Um, but that, wow. yeah, that was crazy. You know, like that day, like I remember that cause it was the first time I'd ever had that kind of experience of like, just being able to like fucking like put a lot, put a lot of fucking rounds down on the, like, um, on the GPMG, you know, like, and then there's a lot of fire going everywhere. You know, guys are calling out that they've like, that they fucking put like the enemy down, you know, like put an enemy down. It's like, let's just fucking go. Like, this is like, it's like, this is what I always wanted to do. This is what soldiering now. That bullet had gone a little way one way or the Are other. Are you losing him again, John? No. No, I, I hey, got him. Yeah, so like... Oh, if that's had, on my end. Sorry. I thought it was on his end. My bad. Yeah, it is your bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that, 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 that bullet goes like a little way one way or the other. And that kills like one of my best friends. And that's one of the like fucking worst days of my life. You know, and that's the thing about it. It's like these literally millimeters in combat dictate like a day that you look back on and you like laugh about and you're like, God, that was so much fun. Or like, that's the worst day of my life. I never want to think about it. You know, thinking about it makes me want to fucking take my own life. You know, it's like, that's the crazy fucking thing about it. Um, you know, the crazy, the, the crazy thing about combat is it's the margins are like, like apart from him, he, he complains about that day, obviously, but I know for a fact that he loves the fact he's got that cool scout on the back of his neck. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, like we, we fucking enjoyed that day. Like I really felt like it was like, it was like playing rugby. And like when we came back into the patrol base, it's like, we just won a hard game of rugby. You know, we just, it was people were like smiling. I like, it was fucking enjoyable. But as I said, could have gone totally the other way. Um, you know, could have come back in there crying our fucking eyes out. Um, you know, so it's a tough one because it's like, God, if I could relive that day again, I'd fucking love to, but would I want to do it at the risk of losing my, you know, my, my fucking, my, my friend, then no, no. But you know, that's, I, so I, for, for me, that's like the story I always think about when it comes to like the dichotomy of combat, like the, the, 
enjoyment of it on one side, but knowing you're like literally like a you're a step. Like like I said, that we went there the next day and we found like a bunch of IDs where one person had stepped a different direction. He's getting fucking blown to bits, and he's probably taking a bunch of people with him. You know, like it's such a fucking fine line between that day that you always dreamt of doing since you were a little kid and you wanted to be a soldier and like the worst day of your fucking life. Right. Like just complete disaster. And, and you know, this is what I signed up for. Yeah, man. And you're like, so like, this is, this is the thing. Like those margins are fucking like a lot of the IEDs in Afghanistan were on what's called like snap peg trigger. So you're talking like the, the top of uh, these triggers were like these, like basically it's like a, you know, like a plunger, you know, it's like think like for one of a better word. You know, you're talking smaller than a dime. You know, you that you that just, but you happen to put your foot on it. You know, it's like these aren't a lot of the time. These triggers are they're so small, and that is literally um, that that can be the, all the fucking difference. You know, um, where you know one guy decides to take cover because, um, like I said, like quite often, you know, in one way, I think the reason we kind of got lucky that day was because we weren't using the obvious cover. Um, because that was probably heavily ID'd and, you know, like when it comes to the Taliban, a lot of the time, if you're going to get hit, it's not because they're fucking good marksmen. It's, you know, because there's a lot of bullets in the air. And that day, um, that day, the, the, the direction they initially contacted us from was from like, it was a good few hundred meters and they had a good way of fire at first, but then like, you know, we're better trained. We put a good rate of fire down. We had two, two. 7.62 7.62 machine guns on the patrol with us. We had a bunch of like the light machine guns and we had a good fucking rate of fire going after a while. Um, and then the compounds closer to us, they got, they got involved, but not in it. Like initially we were like 30 meters away from them, but they didn't start firing us until we were about a hundred meters away. And I honestly think it's because we had some like old heads who were on their like fourth or fifth tour who, even when we were getting hit hard from one side, we still had guys who were like covering the flanks. And I think these, I think the Taliban realized that if they popped up at the moment where we were 20, 30 meters away, they were there because they knew by now that like, usually if you fuck with like British infantry and a small arms engagement, you're going to get fucked. Um, because you know, like we are fucking man for man, way better than them when it comes to small arms engagements. We just, we just are, we're better trained fucking hands down, which is why, you know, usually when those engagements happen, there was only, you know, we'd it's it's a tough one because you can't really say, yeah, we won, they won or whatever, because at the end of the day, did we advance any further? No, we didn't. And then they'd be on their radios that, you know, we could listen in on their radios um, because they were open frequency um, through our interpreter. And they'd be on the radios like, you know, Al-Akbar, the enemy is retreating, all that stuff. So we'd feel like, oh, yeah, we just kicked our ass. But then they're on the radio like, yeah, fuck those guys. They're going home. You know, like, oh, yeah, by the way, we've got 10 dead. But they didn't give a fuck about that. Right. Whereas for us, if we had ten dead, it would be like holy fuck, like I'm 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 a broken man, you right. know. Whereas for them, it's like, dude, I remember one day like, um, we we went out and there was a patrol like we they basically smoked them like that because it was very hard for us to get cleared to have air uh, to have air strikes when we were there because we like the you know the higher it realized that like blowing people's compounds to bit was never going to get people on side. So you, you couldn't really call in airstrikes unless you could guarantee that the compound was clear, which is just impossible. So one day, these guys, um, there was a, a pretty long-running contact. And then the Taliban, like, as we were extracting, the Taliban followed up. And they contacted one of our platoons. We were kind of, like, we were kind of, like, watching from a the flank. They contacted one of our platoons from, like, the top of a ridge. 
So the A10s came in and just like fucking smoked them. Um, because they, you know, they were like, there was obviously like no civilians around. So they're like, the A10s were free to just come in and engage them. Um, and then that same day, we like got some like missiles put in on top of them and shit like that. And then as we we're extracting, they're on the radios going like, Al-Akbar, the enemy are retreating. And like, you're like, Jesus Christ, these guys think they just kicked our ass. And we just like <laughs> smoked a bunch of them. Yeah. And they, and they, they, and you can tell in their voices, they're not like, oh, thank God, they're going. They're like, yeah, we fucking did it, boys. We just won the Super Bowl. Like, shit, yeah. like how the fuck, how the fuck do you beat those? How, how do you beat that enemy? You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Tim, you, you sounded like you were, you were in and out there a little bit. Can you hear me now? Is that good? Yeah, I hear you now. Okay. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with my connection here, but hopefully it lasts. <laughs> now well, I'm obviously, now and if, we, if we do another of these one, if we do another of these one time, we'll just obviously all, like, I'll, I'll just have to come to New York. I'll just yeah. have to do it. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll suffer. <laughs> I'll suffer. I'll come to New York for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a good reason to go. Yeah. Yeah, it's so terrible, man. Uh, coming to New York. Uh, yeah. Um. So yeah. So you know, I'm glad you you brought up the, you know, kind of the uh, the airstrike bit. Um. Just as far as what the rules were, especially during those days, uh, as the rules of engagement have changed, and and we touched on that um, regarding Iraq in the last podcast. But when we were finishing up on the last one, um, I mentioned. You know, we were kind of just talking about, like, quickly about Afghanistan, like some of the difficulties, and I guess that's one of them in terms of, um, you know, not having the the green light to just say, you know, we're in a gunfight and we're we're getting shot at from this area. Let's just bomb it, um, you know, because of all these these other factors. And I'd mentioned a movie that I watched, um, and it was about a, a Danish military unit in Afghanistan and probably the same exact situation where they were taking contact and um, the commanding officer on the ground called in an airstrike and they dropped it on this compound. And um, then when he got back to um, Denmark, he he had then gone through this whole trial where he was uh, being accused of war crimes and whatnot. And um, it, it's a, it's an interesting movie. Uh, it's in Danish. So there are subtitles. Uh, it's called A War, and I, I watched it on Netflix. Um, so if anyone's kind of interested in that, you can check it out on Netflix or anywhere you get um, TV or movies or whatever. But um, it, it just kind of highlights some of those complexities, you know. Yeah, man. Like that's the like when when I got out there. That that's literally as we got out there was when they changed the rules of engagement. Um. So like we were like we were really disappointed because like one of the things I was I was looking forward to seeing airstrikes like I was really looking forward to that, um, and uh, obviously the part there's part of me and you like look dude you can't go blowing people's fucking compounds up and expecting them to be on site so I you know I I understood the reasoning behind it right but I mean I, I you know yeah I was fucking um, I was disappointed like and but sometimes it was fucking stupid though like um, sometimes it gets to the point where you're like you know for a fact what compound you've just been fired upon and you've got your air up there and the air's like, yeah, we can see these guys moving around and you're like fucking, you know, start making yourself like just really obvious targets to try and entice them into firing, but they won't because they can see the fucking A-10s flying around. Um, you know, it just gets to be this kind of like stupid, like I don't want to say game because, well, 
you know, I don't want to say deadly gamey because that sounds like a shit thriller, but like, okay. um, but like, you know, it's just, it's just got, stu- it's just got stupid. It's like, sometimes you just want some fucking common sense. It's like, look, yes, we don't think it's a good idea to go blowing up fucking compounds everywhere, but this is clearly a compound full of Taliban. It's just been firing us. We have the A-10s there who can clearly see the guys all lining up along one wall, which happens to be facing us. And they're all fucking, you know, we're all where like, that's not the civilians are going to be lined up along a fucking wall. Like it's a firing step, you know, Right. they're not going to be doing that. You know, like it's like, come on, let's have some fucking common sense. But you know, that common sense like is lacking a lot of times <laughs> when it comes to the military. So that's just how, you know, that's how it is. But look, I don't, you know, I think in the scheme of things, it was a good re- it was a good idea to stop blowing the shit out of every compound. On the other hand, um, once you've done it once, you've pretty much lost at that point anyway. Like like I said, people aren't going to forget in like a few years. Um, and the other thing as well is like it just comes down to like if you're playing the long game, the hearts and minds game, you can't then go, yeah, we're going to leave in like two- we're going to leave in 2012 because right. it's you know it's just, just like this whole common sense thing I, I look at it like i try not to be bitter about the whole thing but i know i try and like i'm like you know i just i think i try and look at things and not be become yeah. passionate about it because like okay these are my friends that died or you know these are my boys that died um you know and then like not just my you know not just the people you know it could i you know i, I don't i'm sure it's the same for american soldiers like if I heard about a British soldier dying in another AO, I might have never known this guy. Never met him. I feel bad about that because he's another British soldier, you know. And it's it's hard for me to look at this stuff with because it's not like I I kept a journal while I was out there. So like whenever I feel like, hey, am I looking at this with like twenty twenty hindsight? I go and look at the journal and I'm like, nope. We were saying it like a fucking a bunch of lance corporals could could get this stuff. Why the fuck was it not being understood? You know, at these people are getting paid a lot of money at the top. Right. They're not understand. They're, they're not understanding this shit. How the fuck is it that a bunch of privates and lance corporals are figuring it out? But it, I guess it's just like you know, and you know, it's like what's what's pushing you? You know, how are you viewing things? And you're you're viewing it from the ground where it's it's going down, and then you have some of these higher ups who are viewing it from like quotas and, and yeah. you know, other stuff that is not related to winning necessarily. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Dude, let me, let me give you an example of how fucked up things were though. And like this, this just demonstrates to me like how fucking stupid things were out there. Right. So where our patrol base was, you had like um, this one, basically like dirt track that led into it and led out and so it led south and it led it led north to like musakella and that track was ied to fuck like there and some so some of the breaks in the track went through like these choke points between compounds which were just wide enough to fit a vehicle um so it's like it's you could guarantee pretty much there's going to be an id in there around that point somewhere you know like so there'd be enough room for like local pickup trucks to get around but there's an idea around there somewhere um and we were basically confined to using this one route and we um one 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 of the days one day we went down this track um found a uh, found an ied so the boss wanted to continue with the patrol so we cut through a field cut through a cornfield drove through a cornfield continued the patrol and then basically the boss got told when we got back, 
um, right, you're not to go through the cornfields, even though the um, the Afghan like farmers could get uh, compensation for it. It was just, hey, well, we don't want to piss them off. You know, we don't want to force them into getting compensation. So the boss was like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just like cancel patrol. And they're like, well, yeah, like if that happens again, just like cancel the patrol. So basically we got stuck to using these same routes all the time. Uh, a few days after that had happened with the with with that ID we found there, there was another one on that track which hit one of our vehicles and, uh, you know, one of the one of the boys was killed. Um, and we were basically just fucking stuck on using these same tracks. And like, I just think that that is, that's not just stupid. That to me is criminally negligent. Yeah by our like you t- you're taking a fucking company of armored infantry and putting them in one base with a fucking one road out one one road one way one road the other and not letting them deviate from that track so the best case scenario is that your guys have to patrol along that track and find the ids that's the best case scenario so what uh, so what started happening then is that we started seeing less uh well there's still sorry still the same amount of vehicle anti-vehicle ids but then because they knew the troops were going to have to be out in front of the vehicle sweeping, we then started to come across anti-personnel IEDs. You know, they like Claymore-type devices, homemade Claymore-type devices, daisy chains, you know, right. like jars packed full of fucking nasty shit. Right. You know, like, because they because they adapt all the time. And I think that, like, like I said, I think to me, that is fucking criminal negligence to make your true, like, you're go- like, you go on fucking operations, there's going to be risk. You accept that as a soldier, but you also expect your fucking um your hierarchy to look out for you and you expect if you're going to die you're like i want it to make sense you know right not like we're on this fucking track for this so like you know we and then stupid shit would happen like so they the officer commanding like the company had to go to a patrols conference with the commanding officer who's at a different location and that means clearing this route which is the one route we're allowed to use clearing this route up and then clearing the route back so that's a lot of fucking danger for him to just be able to sit face to face and have a fucking conference with somebody you know stupid shit like that which right. you know like you know you you could have lost potentially like let's say one of the guys hits because sometimes out there and we never had it happen to us thankfully but it was happening in other in areas of operations and to other units where a few guys would get killed in one strike and a few other guys would lose limbs and you're potentially doing that for someone to go for an hour's conference. Like, that shit was just fucking retarded. Yeah, no, yeah I that's think... crazy. No, go ahead, John. No, I was just going to say, like, I think one of the issues, with, you know, with coalition forces in, like, a, like, Afghanistan, like, you know, how you just illustrated it is that the Taliban or, you know, whoever it is that you're fighting against in that particular area, they understand the issues that you're facing. So they know that, you know, you guys might feel like we can easily counter this threat by doing Y, but because of X, it's not going to happen. And they know that. So now they see you guys getting out of the vehicles and they're like, all right, let's switch it up. Uh, And they're remaining very fluid. And even though they're at a technological disadvantage, they're at a, you know, Skill-wise, you know, in terms of marksmanship and things like that, medical, they're at a disadvantage, but they have the advantage in terms of they're not being um, restricted <clears throat> yeah. in, in their tactics, you know? Dude, you know what? Yeah, I'm sure, I, like, a lot of... I'm sure... Sorry, sorry I'm going to... There's a lot of, like, G-Watt vets will agree with me on this, is that 
I would fucking love to have been able to be in the role of the enemy with like just being able to like fucking say, Jesus Christ, these fucking guys are just fixed in this position. Like it would like, it, it would be such a kind of like to be on the offense. Like they were most of the time, even though like it was what they were doing is let's say planning IDs wouldn't seem like it was an offense, but it was, you know, like we were the ones that were stuck in a location they were the ones that would be able to come to us, snipe at us, mortar us. You know, you know, they were the ones that could be really proactive. And I think a lot of British American veterans agree, like, fuck, we'd love, like, if the roles were being, if there'd been a patrol base full of Taliban and we could have been a group of, like, fucking 12 guys going around, you know, like, just harassing them and stuff. Right. That would be, you know, like, I th- morale-wise and, you know, like, that kind of side of things, knowing that you are you're being the proactive ones, is 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 huge you know like going on a patrol knowing that fuck me i know we're going to find an ied because you know we're using the same route every fucking time you know like it's fucking soul destroying like it's it sucks and like it was getting to the point where like guys and like again like you mentioned earlier we forget to say like let's let's not forget that heat is like what's 50 celsius wherever that is in fahrenheit it's fucking hot you're tired you've not been getting much fucking sleep you've not been getting much water all that kind of stuff. Guys are getting so tired to the point where they're getting metal detectors, the readings, and instead of like trying to uncover an ID or, or sorry, like what they think could be an ID, guys just start stamping on it because they're like, they're beyond exhaustion. Um, and I've done it myself and I'm pretty sure most people have done it at some point and like you look back on it and you're like, well, I mean, you look back on it as soon as you've had like some water and, and a sleep or whatever, but like you'd you'd be so fucked, you'd be like, I literally don't care if I die anymore. I literally don't care. Um, and you'd get like a metal detector reading, and it sounds like such a petty little thing, but at the time, you know, you might have your radio on, you've got your fucking boss. Like to be fair, my boss is pretty good at this, but you'll have like, um, other, like some some of the hierarchy, like kind of shouting down your ear about getting, you know, to hurry up. And you're fucking tired and you're pissed off and you just don't care anymore. You just start stamping on what these things could be IDs. Um, and it never backfired on us, but I know in other AOs, I know that guys did that where they were just beyond the beyond exhaustion, stamped on something, turned out to be an ID and blew into bits. You know, and that's very hard to get your head around unless you've been there. Um, because to me, like even having done it myself, now it seems insane though you would do that. But it could happen because you'd be like you can't send someone out clearing for IEDs hour after hour after hour after hour in that heat. And then, you know, you get a very small break at the at the other end of like the next patrol base you get to. But like the, the unit we were attached to for the second half of our tour were fucking assholes. And like, it was actually, we were kind of like, you get harassed when you're there. So you get even more pissed off and tired. And then on the way back down, it's hour after hour after hour after hour of fucking clearing. And you just stop fucking caring. You're just done at that point. Yeah, and yeah. So you start using your boots to clear stuff. Yes. No yeah. Good. I think your the point was very important that you're making about the leadership disconnect. And I think a lot of that, you know, going back to even former wars, you know, you just see more of that approach where there was more leadership on the ground, kind of in effect, you know, learning from the troops that were there. Instead of this political approach you have nowadays where, you know, essentially generals are politicians. Yeah, sure. Um, and they're dealing with the media and they're dealing with things like that that don't win wars. I mean, flat out, you could say whatever you want about 
war and you know being whatever you want but war is not politically correct nobody right. likes it it's horrible you it's man killing man i mean it's the most brutal engagement you can possibly partake in so you know unless you have your leadership on the ground effectually watching what's going on and listening to the men that are on the ground doing the damn thing there's really not going to be um, you know, uh, there's not they're going to they're not going to be able to maintain the same fluidity that the enemy maintains. They're right. just not going to. And and in effect, you're never going to win that war. Well, to be fair, dude, like having looking back on it now, I would say that we we lost the Helmand province. I'm not I don't want to talk about Afghanistan because here's the thing as well. It's like just because you lose one part of Afghanistan doesn't mean you less, like lose the whole thing because it is so like kind of divided into tribes right. and all that stuff. But you can look back and the British mission in Helmand province was like, I and mean, if anyone wants to disagree with me, feel free to, we, we can debate it out on social media or whatever. But from 2006, when we first went in, we were fucked because we went into these places, into these population centers without the strength to carry out operations and then had to bomb the shit out of the towns we were supposedly making better in order to not get fucking overrun. Um, you know, and in order to break contact, having to call in air power, you know, and like, the commanders were not fucking. The commanders on the ground were not calling this stuff in lightly, you know, because they're not fucking stupid. They know that every time you fucking call in a J dam, you are setting, you know, you you you're putting things back on the ground with the locals. But what's your other what's your other option? Let your fucking guys get shot to bits. So from the beginning, it was fucked because we never went we never went in there with enough troops in the ground to be able to like put an imposing footprint on there to actually, you know, hold places whilst carrying out operations so we're always on the back foot to begin with you know and then when we when we were there you know we we were so overstretched after the few months that we weren't even able to really most of the time launch patrols down towards where the enemy were held like we knew where they were we knew where they were holding they knew where we were we knew that we were getting pulled out in a couple of years the locals fucking know it it was just a fucking joke it's like you know you 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 know we knew that we were there really that it was um, a fucking wasted effort. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't want to be there because, you know, we fucking enjoyed what we are doing a lot of the time. But it was, and again, I'm not speaking with hindsight here. I can fucking show my fucking diary from 2009 where we're basically saying, this is going nowhere. This is fucked. This is a total waste of time strategically, um, tactically. Um, you know, it's, it's in, there's a, I've got an entry in there from my, when I went, when I, when one of our guys was killed. And um, I re- I wrote down like what was discussed in like the tent that night, um, and like we we all knew that it was fucking it was a strategic absolute absolute total strategic failure. Um, there was times out there where if a helicopter went down, like a couple of times, a couple of helicopters were lost. Um, basically, patrols everywhere had to be shut down because there was no fucking helicopters to get around to get people like they. Just basic things like this. And this is like three years into the operation. You know, like if um, if there was like a casualty, uh, like a casualty incident at one place and then one at the other, it was uh, usually you'd have to call in American um, American uh, Pedro teams to come and pick up those casualties because we didn't have the resources to do both. You know, it's we had this thing called patrol minimize where if um, one you know, if there was like a, um, say, an IED strike with casualties in one area of operations, all of the areas of operations would have to patrol minimize, basically means cancel your patrols, et cetera, because we didn't have resources to deal with a second incident if there was one. 
So how are you supposed to take how are you supposed to take things to the enemy in that situation? You know, it's you you don't have to be a fucking genius. And what pisses me off is it's a fucking huge. Um, there's a great book. Uh, I recommend anyone who's interested in this stuff, go read it. I can't remember the name of the author, but it's called Losing Small Wars, uh, British Military Failure in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's by a former intelligence officer. And he, one of the things he puts in there, basically at the time, the British army was about 100,000 strong. And in that 100,000, there's like 800 colonels and above in the British army, which is an obscene number. You know, almost one in 100 soldiers at the time was a colonel above. You've got all these fucking hundreds of people who are supposedly staff officers and we can't like we don't have like a fucking coherent plan and shit going on. Like the whole thing is just I don't want to come across now as like a bit old lefty or something because like I still enjoy doing what I do and I go back and do it again tomorrow. But the fact is that like there was nothing. There was no strategy. There was no chance on the ground that we are actually going to make a difference. It was literally just a case of see out your tour and go home. You know, see how you talk at home. That's it. You know, you're not really making a difference here. And then we, you know, we even got told midway through the tour, you know, by the way, we're leaving in two years. So like, you're like, you're like we know that this is not, we know there's no, like, look how long we're fucking, we still have troops in Germany. Like mm-hmm. 70 years later, for fuck's right. sake. We, there, there's troops in Korea, there's troops in Japan. And now we, we couldn't hang, we couldn't hang out for 10 years in Afghanistan. Right. Like, I don't, I don't fucking get it, dude. Like smarter people than me can debate this shit. I just know that there's a lot of fucking people out there who, like, as far as I see, have blood on their hands. And and the bottom line is, I would have gone anyway, regardless, because I wanted to soldier. So, and I always said to my family when I went away, I told my, I used to tell my brother that if anything happened to me, I never wanted to have my parents like say, oh, he got killed because he didn't have this body armor or this or that. Fuck no, I would have gone if I'd have gone in my fucking underpants. I would have fucking gone out there. You know, I didn't ever want any. I didn't ever want any complaints about that stuff. It was my choice to go. I wanted to go, but it does fucking piss me off, as you can tell, that there's people out there who were responsible for the lives of their soldiers and they badly let them down. And it fucking pisses me off that they can't even acknowledge that or apologize for it. And the reason that pisses me off is because it means when it happens next time, the same fucking mistakes happen. I'm not saying I want to see people like hung, drawn, and quartered in the streets. But admit mistakes were made, figure out how to not make those mistakes on the next one. But because it's all like hands washed, everyone's just washed their hands of it, the same things will fucking happen again, you know? And that means, you know, more young men will die. But then again, I'm sure fucking Alexander the Great had fucking guys who were like on podcasts back then say exactly the same fucking thing. So, <laughs> you know, or fucking p- pigeon, pigeon casts or whatever the fuck they had. I don't know. But like, but, but it would, this, dude, the same fucking things will happen, dude. Let's, this. There will be a podcast or whatever podcast equivalent is in 20 years time. with someone saying exactly the same as I'm fucking saying now. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's what kind of makes it even worse is when, um, when the war first kicked off, um, in, in the U S military, there are units that specialize in asymmetric warfare, counterinsurgency. And, you know, that unit is, Army Special Forces Green Berets. Like, that's that's mm-hmm. their bread and butter. That's what they do. They were doing it in Vietnam, you know, up until uh, now. And they would, bro, they were, they were doing it in Helmand before the the big kind of, the, I say big troop presence. It wasn't big enough, but they were working in that area beforehand and yeah. they were doing a good job. Successfully, yeah. And yeah. there's a, um, 
there's a few instances of of them going into certain areas. I think uh, one was in the, in the Peck Valley. What they did, it was a 12-man ODA, Special Forces A-team, with some uh, Marines attached to them, like, you know, for extra security, extra guns and stuff like that. And they went into a village and, and they did their Special Forces mission where they work with uh, the local population. You know, say, we're here to stay, we're here to fix and help you guys, but you have to help us. And, you know, through a series of actions in in what they spent years training to do, with a minimum amount of uh, troops and a minimum amount of bombs being dropped, they were able to drive out the Taliban uh, physically and then, you know, deplete their influence in the local population. And it worked almost to perfection. But then what happens is is that you you have a uh, a full bird colonel who's not going to listen to a special forces captain even yeah. though that special forces captain been training for the last 15 years in this very thing and and he knows exactly what he's talking about but you know there's goods and bads for this type of you know very structured military obviously it's good for for many reasons but it's bad in a way that they're not going to let the guy on the ground who really knows what he's doing lead the the strategy. So then they they end up pulling this special forces team out, and eventually they sent like an infantry unit in there. And it's not that the infantry unit isn't capable, but the infantry unit is trained to destroy the enemy, and yeah, they're not exactly. they're not trained to sit there and talk and and do these extra things that the special forces guys are trained to do. And it, it, it isn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that they're not good or they can't be at that working those type of missions, but it's just, they're not trained to do it and they don't have the resources to do it. John, there's been a, there's been a ton of articles, but I remember in basic training, getting a hold of a newspaper for at one point, you know, during the very little amount of free time we had, but you're reading a newspaper and I think it was in the chaplain's office, as a matter of fact. But I remember there being an article about asymmetric warfare and how I think it was Colin Powell was talking about how they would have handled this war very differently had they gone into it knowing what they were going to face. But, you know, the, the importance of special operations troops and how that massive troop strength just wasn't ideal for these types of operations. But right. The, the thing I remember in the article was the, the specifics of these special forces teams going out there and having such a strong effect in those areas and, and being able to wage that warfare in, a, in, in the best possible way. But I, I remember that specifically that article talking about the, the dangers of sending in main grunt units into those areas, you know, where a special operations team could affect operate you know for years and years and send in replacement troops you know to where the guys are able to pick up and operate in the same way that they had been for the past couple of years and maintain that presence in a way that it needed to to be there you know because that that mission is so important um in maintaining and fighting the mission in that way if you're going to go at it from that strategy you have to be able to keep troops in that area and Troops right. that know the ground situation extremely well, and and you troops, have to be able to uh, troops that are, are gonna so, you know 
work that that role you know because right and and it's not to say that like there were marines attached to that this particular special forces team and you know they were getting in gunfights they were killing the enemy but it's it's not just killing the enemy it's the other side of it that really made the difference and there's a time you know and all this was being explained in the book you know i'm just not me going off the top but you know what the guy was saying is there's a a a time and place for killing the enemy and there's a time and place for working with the locals and showing them that you're really there to make a difference and you're not just going to leave in, in in a little bit and and that's where it was working it's like if you if you let them lead that way if you just sent in a bunch of special forces teams and then you ha- you had your infantry guys in there you know in the villages as well and working under these guys, it, it would have worked perfectly. And it's just a yeah, different I, kind of war. It's not like if you're fighting against North Korea, yeah, you need the 82nd Airborne, you know, 101st and the 1st Infantry Division. You need those guys in there because that's the kind of war you're fighting. So it's not to say that these infantry guys are no good. They're, they're great at what they do. But for this particular conflict, you needed a different approach. Yeah, I just want to make a point on the, the local forces as well, right? So we had like some Afghan army units um, in our care of aerial operations. Now, again, the thing is like I think is very hard for people to grasp is these Afghan army units were from the north of the country. So they were like like kind of like Uzbek and Tajik and that kind of like ethnicity. So compared to the Pashtuns, the local like who were the locals in Helmand, these guys were as foreign as we were from um, from Europe. Like they're different tribes, they're different like kind of um, uh, they they might as well have been from a totally different country. So when we say like oh they've got local Afghan troops in this area, it me- it makes no fucking difference in the eyes of the locals. These are not local troops. The locals that don't make a difference are the local tribal militia. Right. So like you get the local tribal militia on board, you've got a good chance of you know that. But here's like we did stupid things like when we first went in there like disband like um you know pissing off certain tribal guys who he might have like a few hundred guys on his retainer they all go off and join the taliban you know because we weren't happy that he was a drug lord and that kind of stuff and um you know but so like these these afghan army were were not like any to be honest they're quite often worse with the locals because we'll treat the locals with respect these guys might fucking hate them like they might see them as taliban and they've been like fight you know their granddads and their dads were you know fighting them for as long as they can remember um And then, to be honest, we'd go on operations sometime, and the Afghan army, they'd turn up, they'd be late, they'd be sloppy, they'd be lazy, they'd start to, they'd be, they'd be, they'd, I remember once very clearly, they pretended that they'd had um, some communications from their hierarchy telling them that they were supposed to return to base, which was total bullshit, and you're like, fuck me, these dudes can't be bothered, like, to do the operation in their own country, why should we? But again, it comes down to they don't give a fuck about it. It's not really their country as far as they're concerned. They're concerned about their own province and that's and their own tribe. Right. Um, you know, and that that's it. And you, fucking, they sh- do like this is that they were high as fuck a lot of the time as well. Like right. smoking weed, uh, using opiates. Uh, like we had like uh, armored fighting vehicles, right? Taliban don't have any armored fighting vehicles, and yet still the Afghan army fucking shot at us a few times as we patrolled by their fucking place. You know, like cause they're fucking right. the highest there. They're, they're high as fuck. And like the, the company that took over from us, you know, unfortunately they lost a guy to the Afghan shooting at them. Like, you know, it's not like they even learn, you know, they, you know, it's like, um, 
it, and again, you know, you couldn't really trust them. So like when we were, when you were with them, you know, you're posting centuries against them, like I mentioned earlier. Um, the other thing you have to do with them as well is not shower in front of them, not wash in front of them. They get a bit excited by that. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Tim, Tim's ears just perked up. Calm down. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. What? <laughs> yeah. No, they, they, they took, they took like, they, they have the, you know, man love Thursdays. It's a thing, but, um, but no, that, that's hey. serious. Like you, you have to be careful, like in front of these guys and, they're, they're so like so culturally fucking different like to us it's kind of like um that, that's but that's a like that's a whole other story oh shit i forgot to tell you about seeing a dude fuck a donkey <laughs> oh hey, did you see <laughs> there, there's actually like footage like um ac 130 like thermal footage of, dude, we've got, of dudes we've like got fucking thermal... goats and shit and feels we, we, like no shit we 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 we've got it from our own camera like um yeah oh, wow. yeah because i was because i was like i'll say to people and like they're like oh no you're being fucking racist or whatever like, i'll fucking show you the video i'll fucking show you the video i show i said that i show you probably we probably sat watching it together yeah like yeah i think we were hammered at the time i think we were hammered at the time but yeah <laughs> like yeah but dude like that stuff that stuff happened out there like people people fucked up Oh god, I, I want to apologize again to the dad and the and his son in the yeah, truck. Okay. If if you're still listening, which I doubt at this point, he's I, not I'm, listening I'm, anymore, bro. He's gone. Yeah, I, I <laughs> he's like unsubscribed the podcast. Like, like they're in a truck and they're got like the fishing hats and they're about to go fishing. Like, and the kid wants like, to join the Marines when he's 18. You know what I mean? It's like, I wanted to put that video on my Instagram, but I figured I'll get my. I can't delete it, so yeah, I can't put it on there. But like, just, just, just trust me. I'm not lying. Uh, the worst part about that video too is that like his friends like watching and like jerking off. That's <laughs> it. that's even worse. That's like, worse that's, than fucking the donkey. That's worse. I, is it? I don't know. But like, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's no, you, you're just as guilty anyway. Put it that put put it, put it like that. But okay. dude, there's a lot of fucking crazy shit like that that goes on out there. And, yeah. Um. You know, we can laugh about that stuff. That stuff's kind of funny. The donkey didn't seem to mind, so like no you know, no harm, no foul. But like what what's not like what's not the laughing matter out there is the way that they abuse kids. Yeah. And the way that yeah. they, they abuse the, the way that they abuse women. And like I think like I it's, it's actually a TV producer when we were talking once, I never even thought about this, but she brought up this point. And you know, sometimes you see like um instances of children being either sexually or physically abused. And same with women. And you're told, hey, it's their culture. We're not supposed to interfere. Yeah. Let them get on with it. Right. Now, I didn't even think at the time what a fucking effect that has on. So, like, it. I, and look, hey, if anyone out there fucking hits women or anything like that, then you're fucking pussy. Like, you know, I'm not saying that. But I'm not making excuses for anybody. However, you're an 18-year-old kid. You've been on tour. and You've seen, like, fucking women get treated like shit and hit and stuff like that. And you go through all the shit you go through. And I'll, again, I'm not making any fucking excuses, but like, I'm, like we're being pretty hypocritical where we're saying like they can do all that shit over there. And then you expect these young boys to come back and just be able to like switch out of that and blank that out. Like it, m- most people can, but that's going to fuck some people's heads up. Like that was, I think the hardest thing out there is seeing that and not being able to do anything about it because like, dude, like the way that they, fucking treat the women and kids over there is fucking disgusting and yeah. it's 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 really hard to not get emotionally involved in that and to not and that's one of the things tim you were saying about the policing i think 
one of the things our hierarchy probably realized was that was a good reason to keep us separate. Because even in Iraq, like, it's not as bad as that, as it was there. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty much one of the worst places in the world for it. Um, and I yeah, think that's probably base, why we like, were kept separate. Yeah, like you were yeah. saying, our troops, even like we would go out on joint missions and stuff with Iraqi troops, but they were on our base, man, but they weren't on our base because there mm -hmm. was a divider up between our two compounds on Taji. Like in Taji, like we had a compound divider that divided the Iraqis from us. Like we weren't amongst each other during, you know, our like other than our day to day operations, you know, we weren't amongst each other. Yeah. But I just think it's like it's it's um it's just there's all these factors that go into like look, you know, it's very easy to point a finger and say that like soldier X has a problem because he saw a friend die. But yeah, no fucking shit. But like, what about all the other stuff that goes into it? Like, what about the, the what about the twenty times when he was on tour where he saw a kid having the shit beaten out of him and he wasn't allowed to intervene and it made him feel like he was a fucking coward or it made him feel like you know I I I should have helped that kid. I let that kid get fucking wailed on by a fucking grown man or I let a fucking like you know we heard about a woman get fucking uh, if you you know you you hear about these fucking women committing suicide over there like they go on the highest suicide rates in the world yeah. because you know they get fucking they're just like systematically raped and treated like objects you know what's going on around you like it's i think it's all that stuff that adds into that real kind of like that that real fucking with your head like i feel we had a, a kid brought to us once who um he'd like basically he'd been set alight um by accident um because he'd be fucking around with petrol um and like you know, his dad hadn't brought him to us for fucking days because he was like scared of us and what we were going to do to this kid and stuff. And you're just thinking like, you, 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 I wanted to beat the fucking guy's head in, you know, it's his kid. I want to fucking beat like, you know, like we knew we were there to help these kids. Like we, you're never going to find someone who wants to fucking hurt a kid. Like we fucking care for those kids. And the, the way they kind of like, like to to be accused of them of we would want to hurt their children and stuff like that was that stuff like that like that's what fucking sticks with you and hurts you well personally like at least from my own experience like you know we don't fucking done anything for those kids and and you see them get just treated like fucking animals and stuff and it's that yeah. stuff is you know that stuff is hard and and there's a yeah, there's a bunch there's a of instances movie. yeah like there's media a great and stuff like film. that yeah, there's a great film. Sorry to interrupt, Johnny. He's been no, making this point, and I just thought about it. Um, there's a great film, and I, I can't remember if it was on YouTube or if it was through HBO or one of those other production companies that did this, but I remember it was about – it was called – isn't it called something like This Is What Victory Looks Like or something like that, John? It, I don't know if you remember, um, but mm, it's about a Marine – it's about an ETT, one of those embedded – embedded track tactical training teams with the Marine Corps and they're over there. This is like 2012, like supposedly when we gone home or whatever, but they're over there helping the remaining units of Afghan army. And bro, like literally you could see the Marines treating these guys like absolute kids because they have no respect for them whatsoever. And there's this one part where the guy's on camera and he's like, yeah, I know this guy goes in and, and bangs his little chai boy, and he's like, and I want to kill him, right. but there's nothing yeah, I can do about disgusting. it. Like, he's like, yeah. so I treat him like a little boy, and he goes, and I don't care if your cameras see this, I'm going to disrespect him the whole time that you guys are here. Get used to it. 
you know, like, like, right. uh, but you could just see the morale of the Marines, you know, there, they were like, dude, they did not want to be there, man. They, right. It was like really depressing to watch, you know, like, right. And, and, was, and that's like the result of the failures in the beginning of the war. And it's like, that's right. where we've gotten to, you know, and it's like the guys that United States Marines are there to train and, you know, complete the mission are essentially raping women and children, like women, grown yeah. women and, and boys, exactly. young boys. And it's yeah. like in our culture, like there's place in the world where you do that shit and you, they'll fucking kill you in, in the middle of the village square. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll stone you to death. And yeah. we don't do that. We don't tolerate that. So now you have the, the, uh, the alpha males of our society over there and they have to deal with that. And it's like you're castrating them in a way. Like you're oh, tying yeah. their hands yeah. behind their back. And, um, you know, there's so much media out there that highlights some of these issues in, Af in Afghanistan. Specifically, there was a, there's organizations, women's rights organizations. Some of them are headed by Afghani women who are educated in the West and stuff like that. And um, so they understand the culture and, and they're highly educated. So they're, they're able to articulate the issue and, and bring it to like Western audiences. And um, was one instance where this woman was being passed around by Taliban commanders and they were taking turns, raping her and stuff like that. And then after a week or so, then they accused her of having sex out of um, wedlock, or, you know, not being married and having sex, and they executed her. And it's like, wow. what kind of fucking backwards shit is this? And there's and that kind of thing happens all the time. And there's video of this, and the woman is talking about this. And um, there was a, a very good documentary. It, it was on HBO. I forget the exact name, but it was about uh, prisons in Afghanistan, uh, and specifically women's prisons. Mm -hmm. Women were getting raped and then sent to jail because they were not married and they had sex. God. One way yeah, to dude, so fuck. Yeah, and one way yeah. to get out of jail or to lighten the sentence was to marry the guy who raped you. And it's like Jeez. what the f like and, and I'm not making this up. Like there's a whole documentary. No, about no, this, no, you know, I, I know, know like, you know, dude. And, but here's the thing, dude, like that when when you're out there, that's one of the things you know this is going on. So it's like you that kind of gives you purpose. It's like, look, I wanna be here and kill fucking Taliban. I'll make this a better place. I want to fucking do this, and and, it, and and that's that's the thing. It's like it's not like I'm like when I when I say like what we did there was a waste of time. It's a waste of time because we fucking left and let the Taliban come straight back in the fucking place. That's why it was a waste of time to stick stick it out and see it through, and like fucking open fucking schools for girls and like have fucking some kind of like fucking rights for people who were treated like fucking animals, like. That's a worth. That's a worthy thing to do. That's an honorable thing to do. Yeah. Like we, you know, we, like that was a fucking that we. There could have been some good come out of what we fucking did there. Um, unfortunately, everywhere we went, and like anyone who did stick up for themselves and then go, oh yeah, you know what? I want to fucking go to school. I want to fucking have a voice. You know, as soon as we left, you know, it's like fucking hello, come here, fucking fucking beheading time. You know, it's like so. So that's the other thing is not only did we fail to do our fucking mission. But we fucked over anybody who tried to get on board because as soon as we fucking left, what the fuck? What, 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 what do people yeah. think happened? And, well, yeah, and, what does that people, people and, think happened to them? So we betrayed, we betrayed them. 
Absolutely. And and the thing that makes all this even worse is that this isn't the first time we've done it. Like, this is like no, Vietnam no. 2.0 because all those uh, Montagnard tribes of um, Vietnamese tribes that were fighting with uh, Army Special Forces and all, all these different units, they were out there, like, yeah. and they were expertly fighting. It, it wasn't like guys in, in Afghanistan, these dudes are, like, making up excuses to go home and they're smoking. Like, these guys were running point, point man in the jungle and effectively fighting the North Vietnamese and stuff like that. And yeah. the U.S. just pulled out, and these dudes, it was, like, systematic slaughter. Like, they got fucking murked. Yeah. And Dude, j- we did oh, this before, so it's like, and then mm-hmm. what happened... In the 1960s and early 70s, it's like we completely forgot all that went out the window. And it's just amazing yeah. how we could fuck up so bad often. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make any dude, sense. Dude, I, I saw today the there's an interpreter right now who's uh, – he served, he served as an interpreter for 16 years in Afghanistan. So basically the entire time we've been out there. Um, and – he doesn't meet the fucking British requirements for him to come over here um, for asylum. So he's been a British until for 16 years. He's fucked if the Taliban ever fucking get his hands on him. Totally fucked. Um, and we'll allow British ISIS fucking fighters to come back to the country. Oh my god! But we will, but we won't, but we won't take in a fucking guy who's served and fought. Like let's be honest, fought alongside. Okay, might not have had a weapon. But he was bit, he'd been in the fucking danger and everything like that with the troops. You get close to these guys, and like he he can't fucking come in, but we'll fucking let an ISIS fighter come back. I mean, like, dudes, like, like you can't get your fucking head around this shit. It's yeah, fucking, it's, 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 it's it just nuts. Pisses, and the only way you don't get you know fucking flip tables if you just don't think about it, you know, because it pisses you off. Just like how yeah, how stupid. But, the, but you, you know, yeah. but you have to think that the the fingers is like. You know, I'm you know, I'm fucking pissed off. I'm pissed off yeah. right now. But it's like you unfortunately you have to you have to think about these things because right. like that guy doesn't that that guy that guy does not deserve to get left to die in Afghanistan. You know? And some people some people say he took a wage, blah blah blah. I took a fucking wage. Do I deserve to be fucking left out there? I fucking hope not. Right. Do you, is, is taking money all of a sudden fucking evil? Like yeah. you know, I I I'll work exactly. for free, you know, fuck it. I am a you know, like I, it doesn't make sense and Speaking about like kind of failed leadership, and I'm not Canadian, but the, the, this video is circulating online of uh, the uh, it's like a town hall style meeting, and um, the uh, the prime minister that's the name of the the leader in Canada, right? It's not not president, or is it president? I think I, I'm not sure. Prime I think have prime minister Trudeau. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so so I believe it's prime minister. Any Canadians listening, forgive me. But um so they have some kind of program. I'm not really read into it, so I'm not going to talk too much on it, but it's apparently they have some kind of program where they want to reintegrate people who have gone to fight for ISIS back into Canadian society. And, <laughs> and this is there's no bullshit. Like this is real shit. Like go on Google and look it up. And so they're in this town hall style meeting, and uh, I guess they were talking about different things. And one of the things that came up was uh, the issue of, of veterans getting the care they need or or certain benefits, uh, wounded veterans. So this one guy stands up, and I believe he was missing his left leg, if I'm not mistaken. He he was a Canadian infantry guy, 
lost his leg to an IED strike. So he gets up and he asks the prime minister, how is it that we're struggling to get uh, certain things that we need for wounded veterans, you know, certain benefits or whatever, and you're standing up here talking about funding for a program to reintegrate essentially terrorists. And the entire auditorium was clapping and cheering and this guy like was completely stuck by that. And it's just like, yeah, there was a time in, in history where, and, and at least I'm going to talk for the Western world, you know, some of the, the allied nations where things were conservative to a point where it was kind of detrimental, you know, like, uh, yeah, know, with, sure. with, with women not being able to vote and, and, um, you know, black people not having rights in, in the United States, things like that, right? So you you yeah. want to progress further so that we can get out of that. That's kind of like a dark period, right? But then when you get so progressive that you do a fucking 360 and your head goes right into your ass and you're integrating terrorists while you're telling, you know, a guy who lost his leg in service of your country that, no, I'm sorry, we can't afford to... um you know, help you out. But we do have this program where we're going to get these terrorists back in because they're not really bad people. They will just brainwash. It, you know, that's when, when you get too progressive. And that's when we need to, like, yeah. say, hold on a second. Like, it's cool that, you know, we're, we're for people having rights and whatnot, but let's not get stupid with it, you know? Yeah, we I mean, do. Like, there's, there's people who, like, who, there's German soldiers after the Second World War who ended up settling in America, you know? But it's a different... That's that's it's like a different fucking thing. Guess the, the common sense approach just needs to come into it. Like, right. I'm sorry, like there may maybe like there's 500 guys who come back and you re- reintegrate, and 499 of them might be fucking might end up being good, okay people. But one of them might go up and fucking shoot up a fucking school or drive a lorry into or drive a wagon into a bunch of people. You know what? Like the same way that I said that if I died in Afghanistan, I didn't want my fucking parents and stuff making like a fuss and saying it was government's fault shit. Same goes for those fucking guys. I don't give a fuck if they're brainwashed. They went over there, t- yeah. you know, they're, they're deal, with deal with the fucking, deal yeah. with the fucking consequences. They, that guy you know, would, like, have, would have killed an American soldier. He would have killed a British soldier. He would have killed a Canadian soldier. And you know yeah, what? And, I, and that would have been a good thing for him because he was on the side of our enemies. So, you know, at the, at the end of the day, and I think someone in the, um, I think a British politician or, or someone in the British government made a comment like it's best if these people are killed on the battlefield. I, I don't know if you if that uh, it it is best it is best too because unfortunately if they're not the fucking lawyers and shit get involved and there's a lot of make people getting money. But look, I don't think there's going to be a single person listening to your podcast that thinks it's a good idea to you know right, to, right. To, to, yeah. to reintegrate. Um, <laughs> um, and like if it, if anyone is out there, it does like. Like you can go fuck yourself. Unsubscribe, you bastard. You bastard. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, well, like, like, damn it. Well, I'm not know. listening to Global Recon anymore because they're not yeah. pro they're not pro ISIS reintegration. Yeah. <laughs> pro ISIS I used to be reintegrated into the fucking dirt and that's about yeah. it. Like, yeah. not, but definitely not into fucking society. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know that Man, we hit some tangents. We hit some tangents today. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> I, I i heard it and then i wanted to you know it's kind of in the middle of what you were saying there guys but um i, I think it's absolutely crazy you know that the talk of the ta- town hall meeting but 
I learn from these World War II guys all the time, man. I will tell them some of the deals, some of the systemic issues in combat and some of the things we face nowadays. And literally, like, every one of those guys has responded to me and said, sometimes I don't even recognize the country I live in. Yeah. And that, to me, is, yeah. like, really sad. You know, like, of course, there were those issues that we had, basic human rights, and we've right. got to look out for those, of course. But when I hear these, you know, the which I still consider the greatest generation, but when you take these guys and you talk to them about some of the issues we're facing, they go, I don't even feel like I'm on the same planet. Like yeah. the, People have things too good now, feel, really. Yeah, like that makes me feel and like when, 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 when you have things to when you have things really like when when things are going good, people look for things to pick apart that like yeah. really you wouldn't ever think about if things were going like if we had a fucking like if we had a third Reich to face right now, people are not going to be thinking about reintegrating fucking ISIS fighters yeah. forever. You know, it's like <laughs> you have or, bigger fucking problems yeah. to think about. You know, or, or, or all this dumb shit that we deal with. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it, but that, that's the thing is like. Wars are being fought now away from the home front. So people don't, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, whatever, it's a war. But I would rather watch, you know, the fucking uh, MTV Music Awards or some dumb shit like that. Yeah. And, sure. and not to take away from the people who are working in these industries and who work hard. But what I'm saying is, is like, what's important? You know what I mean? Is it important to uh, idolize things that are just like you know, a music something or a movie something. Yeah. And and then I, I do think shit over all this stuff that doesn't mean anything. It's like, you know, we're picking apart like you said, the, it doesn't mean anything. But it's it, it's it's a real tough one on this one because like there's one part of me who's like, fuck, I want people to know what the fuck it's like because like I want them to know like, you know, what people went through for them and all that kind of stuff. But then the other side of me is like, hey, you know what? Like, isn't it kinda nice that like I don't have kids, but I, I'm just going to imagine. I got a cat, okay? So I'll, I'll think about my cat. Isn't it nice? I'm like, fucking cat this doesn't know these, that these, like, we are so insulated in our countries, America and the UK, that they don't know these horrors. They don't know these these terrible things that can happen. Right. They don't know war. And, like, so part of me is like, oh, it's actually kind of nice that they get to live in these bubbles. But then right. sometimes I want to burst a bubble. It depends on my mood. Right now, I'm pissed off because we talk about these fucking ISIS free things. I want to go around butt first in everybody's fucking bubble. But yeah. like a lot of the times, I'm like, you know what? Like, it's actually cool. It's actually cool that my, like, you know, like, it's actually cool. Like, you know, my fucking grandma, like, my, my granddad, like, my granddad was a, um, he was a navigator on Lancaster bombers. Like, so they had a 75% casualty rate. Like, you know, which just fucking is insane to think about. Right. And, but and, and my grandma, who you know he got with, she was in a town that got bombed and stuff like that. Like the war was real to them and to everybody. Like they, right. you know, you're not going to find the family in the UK that didn't lose somebody in the war, or you know, like somebody was like if, if it was an uncle or a cousin or somebody was killed, somebody was wounded. Everybody, they all knew it. Right. And now people don't. And, and like I said, I think in a way we need to be kind of like appreciative that that's actually a fucking good thing. Right. Uh, at the same time, it turns out a lot of fucking idiots. Like anybody who yeah. thinks about this ISIS, it's great. Like they just need to get their fucking face stomped. Yeah, um, like seriously. You know, like, what, um, up, but look, here's but here's here's the thing. Let's be honest. Like, we need to worry about a fucking veteran reintegration. Like that is something that needs to be fucking addressed because yeah. we're doing it. I don't know about this. I'm not speaking the states here. I don't know. Uh, I can make my own assumptions, but in the UK, I think we're not doing a fucking good job of it. 
And that is something they need. That is something that should be fucking addressed. You know, that is something that needs to be brought up at fucking town hall meetings. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that is that is something that is... It's The crazy thing is that's the kind of stuff that just gets forgotten about and swept under the fucking carpet and people forget about. But then, you know, <laughs> like for some, some fucking how, this, like, this crazy fucking shit manages to make it onto fucking agendas. So, like... Um, I don't, I don't like know what the consensus is in the states, but I think over here the veterans get a, a, a get a poor deal. Like I don't think they treat well. Uh, but again, you know, we chose to join. Nobody put a, nobody put a gun to our head. Um, nobody put a gun to our head. At the same time, I do think that we were sold promises that weren't delivered on. So my kind of issue with the military, um, with the military and with the government is. If you're going to say to guys, hey, look, join up, go to war. If you get hurt, fuck you. You know, if you get if you get your brain scrambled, fuck you and all that kind of stuff. And if they're open and honest about it, that's fine with me. But it's the way that it's kind of cloaked in. They're like, oh, yeah, OK, we'll take care of you. It's one big family and all that. And as soon as you leave, and you have an issue. Like I, I found out recently, like I, I looked into doing that. So I, I got diagnosed with PTSD last year and uh, I looked into getting compensation for it. Um, not because I, I, I just thought it'd be nice to get a compensation and give it to a charity or something like that because I got help through a charity. And, um, I found like the, the limitation on it is that outside of, I think it was, um, so one of the, some of the literature says five years, some says seven, but basically they put a time limit on when you can make a compensation claim for PTSD. So it's like what if your PTSD as if PTSD has a fucking time, limit. it has a time, has a time limit. Like it's a broken leg, you know, right. that's crazy. So, Dude, I fucking I tried conversation for my ears once. I, so obviously I was a machine gunner in Afghanistan, and I, I got I got blown up my first week in a uh, week there, and uh, I went for like hearing tests, and you can see like the different like frequency levels, you know, whatever they call it. And like the nurse said to me, she was like, "Oh, were you in the army?" I was like, "Yeah, how'd you know?" She's like, "Oh, because these are the bands that get damaged by um, you know like gunfire explosions and stuff, and that you know the, you you in in all the other ranges you're fine." So I put in a conversation claim and I got it back from the uh, from the Ministry of Defense saying that on the balance of probability, my hearing loss was like not caused by my service. I was like, oh, so I got blown up on the way to the fucking gym, I suppose. Or like, <laughs> you know, like oh it just, God. but like, I remember again, like, I remember like literally after sometime my ears would be ringing from like firing the machine gun in like an enclosed space. My ears would be fucking ringing. Uh, and again, like I don't, I didn't need the money. So I didn't care about that. I just kind of like, Honestly, the reason I put it in was because, you know, I, I write about my experiences and stuff. I wanted to see what would happen through, you know, by submitting a claim. So I, it was just like to get it. It's like you don't know whether to laugh or to fucking just go to go crazy. But, yeah, to be told that, like, there's a fucking statute on the time that you can claim for PTSD is it just seems like it's just it's not just it's, it's not just fucking annoying. It's a real kind of like a slap in the face. and like, a, yeah, fuck you. We're not interested. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact Absolutely. is with, with PTSD, like most, most of the stuff is dealt with, um, charities, uh, have to pick up most of the slack when it comes to this stuff, because there's just not the government resources to deal with it. Um, you know, so yeah, maybe that's what like we should be looking at rather than reintegrating fucking, you know, fucking guys who went out, wanted to, wanted to go out and fucking kill women and children. Yeah. And fuck donkeys. 
I'm fuck donkey, <laughs> dude. If you want to fuck a donkey, if it's a consenting adult donkey, and it, you know, like, dude, the one in the video we've got, like, the donkey's just still chewing grass. He's, you know, he seems quite happy. He's like, <laughs> you, you know, he, he seems <laughs> quite content with it. Don't tell Peter this, John. You've already lost a couple listeners. The oh, father man. and son in the truck. I don't want to get they fucking just turned it off. And then protesters Peter outside my fucking just window. turned this off too. <laughs> <He was> like, <laughs> yeah, but like, that, yeah, that but dude, like, a consenting donkey. <laughs> Peter's going nuts right now. <laughs> Sorry, Peter. I try to go vegan. <laughs> I think I was vegan when you came to stay with me, Tim. So you know, we got photo evidence of me eating fucking lentils and shit. So <laughs> <laughs> did you? Um, you hung out with? Um, speaking of plant-based eaters yeah paul um, Gelder keeps yeah. trying to get me to go vegan dude and i'm like yeah i'll try it for a week bro but. I, I don't eat meat by the way um so i'm on it you know but um well i, I was in california it's, it's easy to do in california because there's like plenty of places where you can go and eat and they got vegan menus and shit like right, right. I, if i if i tell people back here i'm vegan i'll get burned at the steak so yeah it's super easy to do, do it, it and... yeah it's it's Super easy to do it in Texas too. Not, yeah. not at all. <laughs> but yeah, but no, no. Paul, Paul's, Paul's, Paul's way. Like I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be seeing. We, we, we met a fruit. We met a fruit term, and uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's basically you put a British soldier together and an Australian soldier, and you can imagine what happened afterwards. <laughs> he, but he does some cool yep. shit, man. With like the the Shark Week stuff and all that, it's pretty fucking cool. fucking awesome. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. He's such a cool. He's such a fucking cool dude, man. He's yeah. a really good guy. Yeah, man. And you know what's so funny is that when we ended the last podcast, um, we were we were sitting there for so long that um like my wife was out there cooking and shit and um <laughs> she's like, All right, like I'm opening the door and I'm bringing you food and we finished up and I was eating and the same thing happened just <laughs> just now. So um Oh, she brought you food. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I always tell us to fucking bro food. I just have my fucking no, me and my cats left me now. I'm just not. I'm not like, my cat's like too. My cat's like it's too cold in here. I'm fucking done. So you still not. You still not fucking Skype. Yeah. Um, yeah. Hopefully, I think I've lost you. I've probably lost you some good amount of pause today. Like we've had uh, masturbation, <laughs> animal porn. But yeah, I don't we, know. Like uh-huh. I don't. I don't know what kind of rating you have to put on a podcast before you upload it. But like this one's gonna be interesting. You might have to get some lawyers in. No, it it, it was um. <laughs> It was uh, before I had it set where it's like there's no 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 cursing and stuff, but um, after a while I'm like, you know, I got to change this shit, man. Someone's gonna take me down by saying, "Hey, look, they're cursing." But yeah, it's it's all Dude, good. It's, it's, it's all good, and that's the beauty of podcasts. Is like it's not like um, regulated like by a company where they're like, "Oh, you you know you can't do X Y Z." It's like your show, so whatever you yeah. bring is fine. You know, as, as long as we're not like you know talking about like you know how to cut hands off and stuff like that. You know, what's the best method? Um, you know, we're good, but we, yeah. you know, we touched on a lot of topics and, and, um, you know, guys, it's always great to have you on because, uh, we get all different type of people on the podcast and, um, people might have like interesting stories or things that they went through that were, uh, you know, pretty cool and, and, um, kind of deep experiences, but it, it almost, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does, but in terms of um, the quality of a podcast, if if you can't articulate it, it doesn't come across as 
you know what I mean? As as serious as it is or whatever. And, and you're very good at articulating your experiences. So I do appreciate oh, you know, having you on. That, thanks, man. Well, yo, I just touching on that, actually, articulating experiences and stuff. Um, I've got a new uh, social media project that I'm, uh, I want to get started on uh, this, this week. And um, so any of your listeners, anyone who's uh, uh, ex-military, anyone who's been on operations, could be anywhere. It doesn't have to be Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, what I want to do is like people want to send in a photo to me, like a, a meaningful photo of their tour. Um, I'll give those guys like a phone call, five, 10 minute phone call, or we could do it over email or whatever. And like write up, like, you know, like to kind of like write up and articulate that person's story with it, put it online so that people can repost it and stuff like that. So I know um, one of the things I'm trying to get into at the moment is uh, I want I want to start uh, these uh, writing workshops for veterans because personally, in my own experience, I found that being able to write and being able to get a story out is like very helpful for mental yeah. side of things like really 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 helpful um but i just thought it'd be cool because i've had people you know people ask me to like help them write stuff up and things like that before so uh if anyone listening wants to hit me up on social media um i'm uh, at grj books on pretty much everything so that's golf romeo juliet books one word um and like yeah just hit me up send me send me a picture we'll get in touch with each other and I'll, you know, write it up. And it's one of, it's a basically kind of like a cheap imitation of what Tim does, but with just a operational photo rather than a bunch of sexy, cool photos like he takes. <laughs> You're stealing my idea, bro. <laughs> I text you. I, D- I DM'd you the other day to tell you why I was stealing it. <laughs> no, it's, 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 no, it's, it's not the same thing. Fair warning. Yeah. And then you go, it's, and, it's then, and, then the, and then I, and then I gave you the usual daily dick pic. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, it's, it's like, uh, I just, I think that a lot of times people want to put those things up and, um, you know, in the infantry, like through nobody's fault, it's like, you don't get taught, um, you don't, you know, you don't get taught to write things. I think people don't want to put them up there, bec- you know, because, um, you know, it's one of those things that like, we should not, nobody should ever be fucking ashamed of like somebody picking apart their fucking grammar or anything like that. But it's one of right. those things in society that sometimes people do feel a bit, you know, kind of like put off. So if anybody wants that, then yeah, fucking hit me up and we'll, we, we can, um, we can do that. And I want to start getting some other people's stories up on social media instead of my own. Cause otherwise there's people just going to be hearing about me, you know, doing my dirty little things in, in wooden shacks and nobody <laughs> wants to hear that forever. <laughs> um, and I, I, you know, I'm glad you, you said that just on the, on the part of talking about like, you know, writing and stuff like that, because I think um, when you're able to write, and articulate your thoughts and express yourself, it does take a burden off your shoulders. And it, it is something that makes you feel good. Um, you know, and, and I think it's almost like therapy in a way, you know, like to sit there and just kind of get For your sure, thoughts dude. out, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, and while, we're, while, while we're on that subject, man, like anyone listening, any guys out there struggling, anything like that, we haven't really got into it today. So I won't go to depth, but like Tim knows, like I, I went through like a pretty, pretty dark period um and um i found like writing and stuff really helped me but also like just talking if anybody anyone out there listening struggling having a shit time feel free to reach out um i'm always at the end of a dm or uh yeah like so yeah feel free guys if anyone's out there wants to chat yeah and 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 again you know i guys i want to thank you for for doing this and and tim you know it's always a pleasure and um 
you know, it, it like I, I appreciate these conversations. We're, um, you know, the way we're bouncing around and stuff like that. It's it's good. We're getting good information out there, and um, you know, my my hopes is to kind of give people a uh, a glimpse of what certain things are really like. Um, you know, but I guess reality is a little subjective, but, um, anyway, so, you know, I hope everybody enjoys this podcast again, Gez and, and Tim, thank you guys for doing this. And, um, you know, yeah, we'll, thanks, we'll thanks, for on, yeah. thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I fucking love, uh, love listening to the podcast and, uh, you know, some of the guys you have on here are pretty fucking phenomenal dudes. So shout out to all them and shout out, shout out to any of the veterans listening. Basically, I, I know there's a couple of guys hit me up after the last one. Um, from different units that kind of be in the same place and that that's fucking awesome when you like hear from guys that be in the same places and stuff so keep it up John keep it up guys listening thank you I appreciate it yeah man it was good being on thanks for uh, having me as a co-host again John always a pleasure to be here I get to write and photograph very often but usually the veterans I'm covering tell me to shut my mouth so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so it's good to be able to be on here and uh, co-host man 